to another iteration of Cherry Stem show, soon to be a podcast, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> and you can help us become a podcast by joining us on patreon.com slash Cherry. I would recommend checking out the Challenger tier, uh, it directly contributes to this show, and you're also able to hang out with us after the show in the patron hangout where we talk about some special awesome things that we don't cover on air. So. You have that to look forward to as well for being a patron. Not to mention that this show is brought to you by listeners and supporters such as yourself. So, 
hopefully my co-host will disengage with what he's doing and actually join the show. <laughs> I'm here. I'm finishing up one little two sentences. Oh, it's broadcasting. I just did an oopsie of um, not having the microphone on this uh, particular scene, so good uh, thing I checked all that before we got started. Okay, so now, so now we're just now, uh, actually, they're not... We were. Okay. Uh, and so we were um, good when I was giving a shill for Patreon, but then the moment we switched over to our Two Faces screen, there was no sound. So, uh, they, they probably did not hear you apologizing for, <laughs> for, for right. taking a second away from the stream to finish your, your email. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, what I was also saying is that we're quite, uh, I'm personally quite, quite happy with the um, things we're going to talk about today, the way we put the show together, and we're going to try to bring you guys brain train as a monthly series along with two others. News Seed is one other one that we'll definitely be doing uh, where once a month we'll be giving you the latest news and breaking, uh, you know, cutting edge science and stuff like that. Um, but we want to do it in a relaxed atmosphere. And absolutely. So, so basically we're, we're inviting you into our living room to, to chat. So, uh, you know, don't, don't feel like we're, you know, in the past we have gotten like really technical and stuff Super like that. Super technical. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so maybe we're just going to keep it a little more relaxed and fun and, uh, you know, try to, try to stay with that vibe. Exactly. That's sort of the, the vibe of the new uh, Cherry Stone 3.0 that is, we're on our third season, uh, episode 33, uh, <laughs> Brain Train, Ketamine Shrooms and the Terahertz Spectrum. Is Ingress XM energy real? Ba, ba, ba. Stick around to find out. <laughs> and yes, we really do talk about these things in our living room. Yes. Uh, anyone who's a live streamer, viewer of ours on Flexstorm in particular. They're going to know. Yeah, we, we, do, we do talk about this shit. This is what we do. Uh, so, all right. Um, good. We have sound. We have, do we have messages? Who doesn't like to geek out in their living room about silly shit? Right? And real shit. 
Exactly. Oh, uh, one of the things I did mention is uh, making sure that we have our chat up and things like that. And of course, as patrons, you uh, not only get a chance to hang out with us afterwards and ask questions about the stream, about anything really, uh, talk about a special um, news uh, bit that we're, we're saving up for patrons. And also, uh, you can get priority uh, to your comments and things like that uh, to be read out loud. Um, now, YouTube thinks that the key uh, frame frequency is, is wrong. Um, I don't know what that means, but um, I'm just going to trust that it's okay because <laughs> we use all of these encoder monitor. settings for actual, like, face and game streaming that requires uh, quite quite good um, um, I guess capture and resolution and all that so I'm not really sure why it's telling me that it, it doesn't like it but uh, we're just gonna ignore it and uh, move on right along all right I see something there uh, well, yeah, I mean, um, frankly, it's not going to move much aside from the um, event list. So people pledging or joining or subscribing, that's going to update, as well as the chat. Uh, the chat is going to update as well. But aside from that, I don't think there's any... I think YouTube lies. Still I think YouTube does lie. Lies. It says that the current keyframe frequency is 8.4 seconds, uh, but it wants 4 seconds or less. I honestly don't know what keyframe frequency is, but as I was saying, we do use these settings for an actual live game capture, face capture. So uh, I'm pretty sure my settings are on point, given that, you know, they're fine on Plexstorm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've forgotten exactly what keyframe is as well. Yeah, I yeah. don't even know where uh, to find it. We so apparently coming through, I just put in a, a headphone, so wonderful. looks like we're coming through. Everybody must get stoned, you are right about that. Uh, not on cocaine, but uh, on other things. <laughs> so <laughs> they're, they're just uh, they're busting rhymes. True. Driving the train, high on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of drugs and the brain, so let's talk about our first thing. It's pretty cool, interesting thing. Um, let me just make sure that I have a microphone in the next overlay. So just give me a second. So, what I would like to point you all to at the moment here, looking at the screen, we have a something that won't move. Cool. Ah, there it is. All right. So, this drug, esketamine, is actually a thing. <laughs> um, as the internet was saying, both Medium and a variety of other um, journalists, um, sort of newsletters and things like that, uh, we had information coming out recently about FDA approving a new drug to treat depression. It was, uh, it was pretty big news for a couple of months. And the reason it was big news is because the drug that is approved to treat depression is actually already known street slash party drug ketamine. And they did approve a version of ketamine called esketamine, which is sold under brands Ketanest and Spravato, among others. And the interesting thing about ketamine is that it um, 
if you use it as a, as a, as a party drug in a party setting, people have said it to be a horse tranquilizer or, or something like that. Where yeah, I think it literally was developed. Or literally was developed. used uh, the horse tranquilizer, okay. if I remember properly. Uh, that makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the reason it's used as an anesthetic, and, in fact, some of you may have heard of ketamine, uh, if not from uh, the streets or parties, as Special K. Uh, I think that's one of the terms. I do. Uh, I, I do believe it or was. Maybe, maybe that's when they're tri instead of tripping, you're in a K hole. Is the is the term? I don't know. Uh, yes, uh, people have talked about that. It is actually a dissociative um, state um, of right. hallucination, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. We'll, we'll definitely get into it, but yeah, K hole. <laughs> um, special K was what it was used in uh, named in the '90s, I believe. It was uh, one of those things when, I, or maybe early aughts. I don't know. When I moved to America, it was it was. Special K was an actual cereal that they would advertise on TV, <laughs> yeah. but also I knew that it was like the name for a party drug, so that was one of the first Angel Dust, Special K, and those were like my first um, introductions to street jargon for drugs. Hmm. So I find it uh, kind of interesting that the, I, I've known about Special K, of it, I've heard it. That's <laughs> 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 one of my first sort of expose or exposés, exposures to um, drug culture and, and, and jargon around it. So you guys may have heard that too. Uh, thing is though, you may also have heard about ketamine right before it was um, approved by the FDA in 2019, so you know, just this year. But right before that, you may have heard of it as well because it was used actually as a aid to rescue all of those Taiwanese boys out of the, the cave. So uh, we're going to be coming back around to Elon. Oh, Elon, that was like, yeah. Elon, Elon got in trouble. <laughs> you know, actually, most recently in my mind, we watched that the This Isn't Happening uh, comedy series we watched. And somebody just like had this whole story about how they'd go down and get like massive amounts of ketamine and ride ponies or something. I don't know. It was a weird story, but <laughs> apparently they'd go down to Mexico and, and get lots of ketamine and they had like a tradition with a friend of theirs or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, oh yeah, I mean, definitely don't, uh, don't look at the FDA too closely. And in fact, the FDA is going to be coming back around, uh, being on our, uh, on our shit list. So, uh, you know, approving the ketamine is not necessarily a bad thing whatsoever. However, some of the other things that they have approved, uh, such as, oh, I don't know, meth for treating children with attention issues. Or yeah, which one is it? That, I mean, it's it basically... Adderall, uh, I think, is it? Yeah, I think it's Adderall. It's mm -hmm. one that's like meth. It's yeah. yeah, literally an amphetamine. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and of course, uh, the FDA is also... Uh, oh, that's the FCC. Never mind. Close enough. But, yeah, all, all the uh, acronym three-name uh, organizations starting with F uh, are, are going to be... Uh, are going to be not treated F kindly up. by us <laughs> at one point or another. <laughs> we will F them up, we need. So, so we're not going to necessarily F up the FDA right now because from what I understand of ketamine, it's actually really interesting. I, I didn't know um, that much about it because there was really no reason to. I do have a, a book that uh, my mom um, get, got me as like a, not a graduation gift, but like, hey, you're in college, here's a book because you like those, right? <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I do. Um, it was about pathology of drug abuse. Um, I haven't even cracked it open, but. Oh, I didn't know that that was, a, I, I put it with your textbooks. I thought it was. No, a, yeah. well, it, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's the same size and, and like exactly. it's hard bound and everything, just like a textbook. And I always, uh, the reason I haven't cracked it open is because uh, I suspected that mom gave it to me because she suspected that I was smoking weed. And so she was like, you're getting on those drugs. 
Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but I'm getting out of knowing exactly what they do. Exactly. And she's like, well, if you don't, here's a fucking book. Because <laughs> we do have some family history of, you know, the Russians, there's some minor alcoholism, some other things here and there uh, that, you know, uh, may leave parents fearful over <laughs> their children not necessarily being able to handle addictive drugs. Thankfully, I've never done hyper-addictive drugs, except weed. But you know, yeah. <laughs> and you took that. You took that so far. You tested that hypothesis that it's not. Can addictive. you be addicted to weed? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. And yet, the answer is yes, somewhat. Somewhat. Uh, if you never train your brain to deal with situations or self-soothe or any of that stuff, then yeah, yeah. yeah very well, much. there's also like some some of the things that have to do with addiction are like just uh, dopamine dysregulation, oxytocin dysregulation, right? Yeah. Various dysregulations of. of, of various brain chemicals mm -hmm. and so so weed does you know one of the things people talk about is not being addictive and it isn't addictive like your typical addictive people call it psychologically stuff. addictive but what does that mean yeah it's, it's psychologically addictive is addictive period and so there there is a point at which the only thing that isn't psychologically push addictive your your I guess systems would what? be the only thing that isn't uh you might want to take that out or you oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that isn't uh or the only thing that i would call physically addictive uh, right would be heroin because you get uh, not just the psychological effect of wanting to feel normal but you also get like an actual physical pain that you know was really yeah, putting a dividing yeah. point between no, physical and mental yeah. is kind of <laughs> silly. silly yeah it's like so yeah psychological addiction is addiction <laughs> yeah the psychological happens because of the physical things you know physical mm -hmm. configurations phys physical you know Oh, it's also known as cat valium, spelled with a K. Cat valium? Which I thought was really Weird. cute. Yeah, special K, cat valium. Okay, so um, the what it's used for, usually ketamine, is to start and maintain anesthesia. And that's actually how it was used on those um, Taiwanese boys, the, the soccer team that was trapped in the underwater caves. Uh, they uh, gave the boys ketamine injections to be able to carry them back out through the caves um, so they wouldn't be panicky and because uh, I mean I'm assuming they would have to go underwater to take them out or you know it yeah. probably wasn't a clear way oh, out so to take you through those really tight spaces oh my god I mean some of the th um, when I watch cave divers Oof. I feel anxious just watching Same. them where they're sitting there like t t squeezing themselves underwater through a tiny little tight space not knowing where they're going that kind of insanity i just can't i mean i can't handle it no, uh, it's like man what, what I'm a, I'm and so many of these people die cave diving i mean like there was this guy who was like a championship cave diver he died and then his buddy went to go get his his body and he died too you know it's like oh just and then i think a third guy don't. went down and got them all and finally got the two yeah I think and but the first body was not in the best state so no like the, the head separated oh god it was oh, pretty it god. was really gruesome yeah that's it was oh, very oh. bad okay <laughs> very gruesome <laughs> so yeah i can see how they might need to give ketamine to some kids that are like you know, being dragged through <laughs> tight little holes and shit. You'd have to, After you'd have to give me being something. being stranded right. for a week or so. You'd have to, have to give me horse tranquilizer <laughs> to get me through that shit, too. Let alone <laughs> children. Exactly, exactly. So, it, most recently, before I was um, approved by the FDA, it was in the news as part of the rescue mission. Um, so, it's interesting uh, what I learned about ketamine, that it's, quote-unquote, a dirty drug, meaning it doesn't affect just one system of the brain. It affects both um, an MDA system, mostly mm -hmm. it it's affects glutamate. However, it is also a weak opioid, 
Hence sedation and cat volume and anesthesia and all that. Mm, um, and that, that would uh, make some sense as to how it might be uh, addictive as well. Weak opioid as well as affecting the dopamine system. Mm. So it, it's a, it mostly glutamate but also a bit opioid and a bit dopamine so it's a dirty drug. Right. This is what I, I have not looked into mm -hmm. the um, any of the details. Of I did somewhat. Um, yeah. So we'll see if I can make sense of this. Uh, so basically the way it works is one of those, uh, the dose makes the poison thing. Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, high doses, ketamine acts as a glutamate blocker. So it is a NMDA receptor antagonist, primarily. Antagonist, really? So antagonist. Because so the, way it it, the way it blocks it is, is important. So NMDA antagonist, mm -hmm. all right. Yeah. Uh, but it also acts I as, uh, to an extent, they're saying, as a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. So that's how it's somewhat affected okay, the dopamine so then system. Increase, increases dopamine. Hence okay. depression, yeah. Um, and that would help with depression. And well, only while you're on it then, though. Maybe if it's a reuptake inhibitor, that's only going to be uh, while on that, it. That's the thing. Uh, is it regulation. Right, but is it uh, on a high dose or a low dose? Uh, the, the Wikipedia doesn't mention specifically, but uh, on that note. But what I read is that in high doses, it is seemingly exclusively a um, glutamate blocker. But at low doses is where it starts to do weird stuff because it increases glutamate production in low doses, which leads to hallucinations, uh, feelings of detachment, which is what the K-hole is. In low is. doses? In low doses, it stimulates glopamine. Uh, glopamine. <laughs> That's a new, uh, we just discovered it in this show. Uh, glopamine is a new neurochemical. You're hearing about it in the news. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's what ketamine, ketamine is. It's a glopamine. <laughs> it's a glopamine. <laughs> it's, it's a, about this. Uh, it's, uh, it, yeah, it increases. Cutting edge science. <laughs> <laughs> it increases production of glutamate at low doses, mm -hmm. but completely blocks it at high doses. And so at low doses, that's so it must be it must be a downstream effect. In other words, like it, it has a very mild um, antagonism effect mm -hmm. that uh, at high doses ends up being strong enough to block to block. Right. But then at low doses, it's probably just the enough antagonism to create. Well, no, not the antagonism, just enough activation of dopamine to lead to yeah. more um, activity pro profiles because glutamate is, is a very general sort of uh, activity. But wouldn't, wouldn't you have the same experience of low level activation? Um, I think it's a cascade. In other words, density one, or? Uh, what? no, no, it, so you gotta, there's short term effects and long term right. effects, right? So there's the instantaneous effect and then there's and, a and we're not talking about receptors. reacts to it. We're talking about um, production. Right, and right. we're talking about uh, a ligand and how it, uh, or ligand. And uh, another interesting point about glutamate, uh, glutamate and GABA, uh, NMDA, NMDA and GABA, those are the two uh, major neurotransmitters, they're called neuroregulators, yeah. uh, because yeah, uh, GABA is what you actually get when you drink alcohol and it uh, depresses your system, it's a central nervous system depressant, which is why you have alcohol poisoning, your lungs straight up stop moving. Um, and uh, gla uh, glutamate, NMDA, same thing, is actually the opposite. It is an excitatory uh, neuromodulator and uh, hence the um, MSG thing. In, 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 in uh, Chinese food, 
the yeah, energy is actually uh, glutamate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and it, it could Monosodium to, glutamate. Is right, and it leads for. to uh, to basically excitement in your nerves, uh, in your neurons, in your... And that's why it enhances seizure. the flavor of food, because mm -hmm. it's basically making your the nerves that uh, are on your tongue mm -hmm. uh, activate more. more. And so you're basically intensifying it. But then what can happen is that overall, whenever you over-intensely intensi activate you, something... When you put too much... You know, it becomes muted. If, but also, if anyone traveled abroad, you know that you can't put 220 volts through a, you know, you can't, you, you can't put, up. right, you <laughs> can't put a certain amount of power through a wire that isn't made to handle that much power. Right. So actually, you do lead to neurotoxicity right. uh, and burning out of neurons. Well, it's it. a, there's something below neurotoxicity, which is downregulation, basically. So there's, you know, so, so isn't when something's activated. Molly, isn't uh, ecstasy also an NMDA? Um, uh, I don't Basically, remember. glutamate agonist. So that's that's one of I the dangers of Molly. So. Is uh, well, maybe you can burn out your neurons because it's an excitotoxicity. Yeah. Uh, perhaps uh, that that sounds semi. I, I don't know. I, sounds somewhat somewhat familiar, but see, we only know familiar. absolutely everything about the drugs that we take and the ones that we will absolutely never take. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some that are kind of like, ah, I don't know, whatever. I don't trust the person who's making it. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, there's a gray zone for some drugs that we haven't tried but haven't decided to tell people to not try. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I haven't done all that research. I know, I know right. I wasn't particularly happy with ketamine when I did a little bit of research with, uh, on it, and mm -hmm. I wasn't and you I wasn't weren't particularly, particularly happy, happy with, with ecstasy when you did research. Yeah, and, uh, and maybe MD for a shared reason. <laughs> Yeah, so NMDA stands for um, non-competitive N-methyl-D-aspartate receptor antagonist. Really fucking boring. Well, the, no, not but antagonist. The antagonist, uh, antagonist is the, yeah. the ketamine part. But yeah, it's the non-competitive N-methyl-D-aspartate uh, receptor. And then GABA is... Don't know. Some other... I've only known them as NMDA and GABA the entire time. I never knew what the uh, Gamma aminobuuric acid. Cool. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, so the interesting thing with the whole dose thing is that at high doses, it becomes a uh, a massive anesthesia drug. And as we mentioned, glutamate is an excite excitatory. Uh, the central nervous system excites. I thought we weren't going to get all that technical. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Sorry. Yeah, so glutamate's excited stuff, and then you block it a bunch, and then you're like all not excited, and so that's how it works as a anesthesia drug to knock you out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is the two ends of the spectrum. So, uh, so but the, And then like on, the on low doses, you have hallucinations, detachment, which is known as the K-hole, where you feel like you're away from your life, and that's one of the ways in which it helps with depression, because you separate yourself from the feels. And uh, I've seen some people say that, oh, I never thought I would intentionally be seeking out the K-hole just to block out all these thoughts and not get suicidal. You know, so, so it, is some, it is a kind of a numbing right. place, it seems But like. the, there does seem to be some sort of therapeutic use because kind and of a reset thing, right? Right. Theoretically, the idea is that the glutamate production increase can help build new synapses. That's, that's what okay. they're saying. That and the dopamine reuptake inhibitor, I'm sure. But specifically, they're saying that it builds new synapses through this low-level glutamate um, activation. Builds new synapses. Well, um, I mean because brains lose synapses during depression. And that glutamate goes in there and fixes them. So things yeah, that were broken so, down so by depression. Like, you know, basically, it's like thinking. That, that basically... Rebuilds, okay. your, rebuilds your brain back to normal. Practicing thinking happy, appreciative 
thoughts yeah, we'll will, through long-term potentiation, uh, decrease, you know, um, depression because right. you're building additional connections. connections. And this just does it for you, I guess. And so I guess this is, <laughs> I mean, if it's increasing dopamine, you're going to be mm -hmm. in a good mood. And, so it'll you know, make, maybe make, uh, get to it easier to right. do that point. I, so. I, I could see possibly, but I don't, I'm still not, I'm still not happy with ketamine. I still think that it, it, it sounds like it's got way more potential to cause problems than it does to, to be therapeutic, but mm. I don't know. I, at this point, I'm still, I, I'm still definitely on the, um, uh, on the line about it. Ah, that's perfectly fair. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, um, gonna try it out. So, um, I guess good luck, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, it was introduced uh, in medical use in '97. The doctors who will be prescribing it will just be taking the uh, the the uh, pharmaceutical company's word for whatever to do with it. They won't they won't do any research on their own. The doctors will not know anything about any of what we're talking about because they just don't care. Uh, <laughs> there's so, there's so few, you know, it's like there's so few of them that that give a shit to learn what the actual mechanics of it are, whether or not, they never question whether or not it's good or bad. They, they never question whether or not it's effective or not. They just figured that if it got to them and it got to the FDA, they just trust the system, that the system will have made sure that everything's okay, and then they give it to you. So just be aware of that. That's, that's doctors are fallible human beings, and, and, and theoretically, you should be able to trust that, well, these guys are on the up and up, and you know we have these regulatory agencies that take care of it for us, and they wouldn't just allow us to give people poison uh yeah yeah they would and so that's uh, it's unfortunate that there's some doctors that are kind of innocent in that way that they don't really they think that they're trusting a system that should be trusted so that they can go about doing their work instead mm. of doing the work of the researchers right and the doctor should theoretically be able to just do and that's their why work we have regulatory everybody else's work for them and we have regulatory right. bodies like the fda that are supposed to be impartial they're and supposed to be doing the re <laughs> research they're supposed to be being reliable you said you know they're supposed to be scientists not it's like every one of us shouldn't ha be having to do everything that the police do either right. we should be able to do our own jobs and, and be able to rely on other people to do their freaking jobs, but unfortunately, that's just not happening. Yeah, the the, the, um, the interesting thing, though, I would say uh, about as, uh, ketamine or esketamine versus other uh, depression drugs, um, and this I could be completely wrong. I'm not giving you medical advice, but if I were to go to the doctor, I'd be like, give me the ketamine to try first before you give me SSRIs. I, I don't Honestly, know. Well, I mean, if it's something because, that's a, here's the thing, out. if it's supposed to be single Just dose type of modulation. Because the, the interesting things about it, not only the, the dose thing, which is uh, the dose makes the poison aspect of it, which is interesting, but also the fact that ketamine is used for anesthesia in high risk patients. So when normal anesthesia wouldn't work or would fuck them up or would kill them, they use ketamine in things like hemorrhaging shock, anaphylactic shock, septic shock. Uh, uh, nerve blocks, like all of these things that you would need to have to like monitor your patient really closely and to make sure you don't fuck it up, they use ketamine versus other anesthetics. So I, I, that, that to me gives a glimmer of hope that maybe it's a little safer or something. But then again, it was introduced for medical use as an anesthetic in Germany yeah. in 1990. So here's the question. If for therapeutic use, are they trying to have it something where somebody's taking it all the time? Or is it something that they've used as a single dose that causes a modulatory effect that lasts long term? Because when it comes down to it, the the model that get, that helps the pharmaceutical companies 
is giving you something all the time that you become addicted to and it's only effective while you're using it. And there's two other kinds of dopamines too, uh, ketamines. There's racemic ketamine, which S-ketamine is twice as uh, potent as, and then there's its opposite enantiomer, R-ketamine, and both of those are also being investigated for depression. So, you know, it's, it's, re it's, it's a nuanced field even at well, yeah, this point. The, the, so. the chemical structure of it, but yeah. how it's, and the thing is pharmaceutical companies are benefited by things that are basically addictive and cures, which are basically you just, you shock the system and it changes in a positive direction and then you don't have to fuck with it anymore they do because say, it does its own thing after that point. That's, uh, that's something that he And th that may be it because they're saying, um, uh, however, in mice, um, they found that rapid antidepressant effect of R-ketamine, uh, well, they're just looking at the, all the three different ketamines, right? And they do talk about it, the effect was greater and lasted longer. So that indicates to me that they gave it to them once and left them alone. Maybe. I don't know. Which I, may not be how it's being used now that it's an actual drug. Because you know? when they're talking about, oh, it helps depression because of this uh, dopamine reuptake inhibitor. Possibly. Okay, yeah. Any kind of reuptake inhibitor ends up making it where you don't produce as much of that chemical. So because you you end up with downregulation. Well, not, not I mean, you become less sensitive. Let me restate that. You become less sensitive to the chemical because of the reuptake inhibitor. And so I, I fucking hate reuptake inhibitor types. And so it's like that's... The, the intent is for you to constantly be on that pill with no solution after that. You just are on the pill for the rest of eternity is basically their solution. That is not a fucking solution. It's a stopgap. It's mm -hmm. a, a, and a, as a stopgap, it's not, it's, it, it does what cr crutches do, which is make you weaker. And so, uh, oh, you know. I see what it is. There is R ketamine and S ketamine. Mm -hmm. So R and S. Uh, the interesting thing here, too, now that I'm uh, reading details about like how patients are experiencing it, um, S-ketamine inhibit, inhibits dopamine transporters eight times more than R-ketamine. This increases dopamine activity in the brain. Uh, at dos uh, doses causing the same intensity of effect, S-ketamine is generally considered to be more pleasant by patients. Patients also generally recover mental function more quickly after being treated with pure S-ketamine, which may be a result of the fact that it is cleared from the system more quickly. Um, this is, however, in contradiction with R-ketamine being devoid of uh, psychotomimetic side effects. S-ketamine has an affinity for the PCP binding site of an MDA receptor 3 to four times higher than that of R-ketamine. Mm -hmm. So not, it's not just, an M, not just any old an MDA receptor. It's a fucking PCP receptor. Yeah, no, PCP is an NMDA antagonist. <sighs> That's how PCP works. And so it's just like the, and you know how I, I've talked about the, that that's what the, those people who are sipping on the scissor, they're basically dosing themselves with PCP. Speaking of scissor, S-ketamine increases glucose metabolism in the frontal cortex. There's your problem right there. That alone can help so much yeah. to give, to, to actually allow your frontal cortex, the, the part that makes decisions over your life and decides what's good, what's bad, what you should do, have self-control, right. all of that. What does this? S-ketamine increases glucose metabolism in the frontal cortex. Yes, it allows the frontal lobe to actually use the fuel. Well, it could just, but the thing is, it can, it can just make it, it, it could be using more fuel because it's activating because too it's activating much. activating it too much. And mm -hmm. activation, it, it could be, um, you know, excitotoxic. So, you know, so in the long like, term, so you actually will leave you less capable of controlling your life. Right, exactly. 
it could just make you less conscious and being less conscious overall is a happier state you did say that was more of an animal you don't fucking know what's going on that's literally the first thing you said when i brought up ketamine as a depression thing really yeah what's that you that that it makes you when you're not as aware you're happier yeah there is a there is a pain to being yeah. an aware and awake individual, which is why people end up abusing drugs and things like that in the first place. For sure. Yeah. Um, so speaking of abusing drugs. <laughs> okay, so was there kind of a uh, so basically? No, it's just it. That's, oh, it's okay. just a lot. I don't know. Interesting. It's stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, it's so just that's stuff. It's now stuff. that it, now that it's going to be starting to be uh, used. Instead of just as a party drug, it, now that it's actually going to be used, we can um, actually do more research on it. Yeah, need to do more research and find out uh, because uh, it'd be maybe another way that people are just getting their brains fucked. What else is new? <laughs> um, so the from there, speaking of drugs, um, oh, and then the brain, there's some good news. Yeah, good drugs. <laughs> um, Denver, Colorado uh, passed uh, the initiated ordinance three oh one. Psilocybin Mushroom Initiative, it had fucking 50.6% to 49.3%. Just barely made it in by... Now, talking about a medicine... Half a percent. Half a fucking percent. I'm talking about wow. a medicine that's been used for thousands of years successfully. Because when so, it comes down to it, the reason why people... Uh, if you look at things that people collect useful information uh what's it called superstitiously Mm -hmm. just like the hundred monkey effect it is uh the hundred monkey effect comes from when monkeys were given sweet potatoes some of them started washing it when enough of them started washing the the potatoes all of them started doing it that's what Mm -hmm. they're talking about with the hundred monkey effect there's basically that's literally a voting on new behaviors that groups of animals do they vote on new behaviors in a certain way it's not really voting but it's just basically once they see that enough of them are successfully doing it it is not harming them and perhaps they're gaining some sort of um, advantage from it then it it becomes accepted as a new cultural you know thing in other words they actually that's the way that culture sort of started first developing capture of useful behaviors and so there's a lots of um, uh, things in religion in you know tribal behaviors and things like that that are there's there's both noise and signal because it's you know there's going to be things that are just you know superstition that don't do a damn thing that are going to be uh captured as well in that fashion but there are going to be things that are valuable captured by that sort of uh, Dragnet. <laughs> right. And it's, it's how, it's basically how evolutionary systems develop over time. And that's why they're so messy. And uh, But they en- end up uh, eventually finding things that are useful without actually uh, there being any intelligence behind the capture of it. It's mm-hmm. just, it captures it because it, it's useful in some way. So the thing, the, the point here is that there, there are medicines passed down for thousands of years. And the reason why that they're passed down for thousands of years, you end up finding out, are because they have a real impact a real value and one of those things is with shamanic medicine what they end up doing you find uh why it is i'm saying okay great in completely in opposition to the whole ketamine thing Mm -hmm. psilocybin psilocybin is something that you use yeah it's also a party drug what's the difference it's not a party (laughs) drug my god Uh, i guess some people can but jesus uh, how not mushrooms acid sure 
whatever. Why Though we hell? did make a mistake of taking acid during that uh, festival, the Cooper Young Festival. Oh man, that was not a good idea. <laughs> I was not prepared for that much humanity while on acid. Because <laughs> to be fair, whenever I'm tripping, especially in mushrooms, uh, my own face looks distorted. Your face looks distorted. There is a at a certain point in the trip. Yeah, that's the massive. The, that's um, the most we've ever had in the way of visual. Well, it, it distorted. I mean, like just the proportions are weird. Where right. like the nose is bigger, the eyes are smaller. Like looking less friendly you know my okay. own face so, so, you know so going back on yeah. this uh, part of uh you know going into looking at all of, as she was going through her degree you know uh in, in um neuropsychology, in neuropsychology. Well, bridge major but let's just call it that <laughs> right the uh some of the things that we're looking at is the, the the how it is that uh psilocybin and lsd both of them work on a particular receptor mm -hmm. uh and so there's there's all this science uh behind anti-addictive effects of things that agonize, things that activate this one particular receptor, the 5-HT2A. Anti-addictive effects? Oh, wait, did I say uh, uh, antagonize? I meant agonize. Did I say? You said anti-addictive effects, and I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, no, there's there was, LSD was one of the first things, is that it, they showed how it uh, helps with alcoholism, it helps with And the post, so the, the vets coming from Vietnam, right? Yeah, well. With their heroin addictions? PT, oh, with their... I don't remember if it was specifically uh, heroin in, uh, that you may be remembering something that I brought yeah, up maybe. a while back, but I'm not remembering that. Uh, so anyway, so the, po the point is that there was lots of science showing these uh, very positive effects of LSD. They didn't really know why back then, but there's been lots of research and the research has been uh, resurrected. And, and, and now the mechanics of how it works is totally makes sense. And that is, you know, remember I was talking about earlier the, uh, the idea that you, um, something that's a real medicine is something that you take once to, to shock the body into fixing itself, not something you take all the time and become reliant upon. And so that's what real medicine is. Re real medicine, I mean, there's nutritive medicine, which is different, where your, your body does need components to build from, you know, and that's what nu nutrition is for, is you do have to be able to build from components. And so that's like, you know, <laughs> where the, the lumber and the, you know, the nails and everything of your, you know, your body and, so, and a lot of times your mind mm -hmm. uh, with fish oil and things like that. You need the proper fats. And, but when it comes to medicines that are supposed to be, um, that are supposed to intervene in something that is going wrong, then it shouldn't be something that you need all the time to keep taking. That's addiction. That is, you know, you've, you've made your body not capable of doing it on its own. So with psilocybin, it is that sort of medicine that is an occasional, uh, you know, reset button that is that is useful. And the way that it does that is one that what they found is this one particular receptor, 5-HT2A, mm -hmm. that is activated by these things, is part of uh, what they, they find in brain slices of people who are schizophrenic, brain slices of people who have addiction brain slices of people who have uh, ADHD, one of the things that they share in common is too many of a high and a higher amount of that particular receptor. And what happens when you take something that has a lot of the, that activates that receptor a lot, it reduce your body reduces that receptor. So you end up with, um, you end up with less of that receptor. So basically, if we find that unhealthy brains have a lot of this receptor Maybe and taking this, this thing that agonizes it makes you have less of that receptor, 
Well, hmm. you know, it's like, there's kind of a direct one impact. One plus one okay. is. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so they so they're beginning to see how it is that this impacts it. And I mean, there's all these downstream cascades and all of that that there's I'm just not even going to get into. So much uh, brain stuff. There's so much <laughs> that we can get into in the, in, in the technical ways. Right. But that's the point. Is that that's why I'm I'm like I'm ambivalent, maybe even a little. Uh, unhappy about the legalizing of ketamine whereas mm -hmm. legalizing psilocybin there's not just the thousands of years of uh, recorded history and, uh, and non-recorded history of people using it as a medicine I mean they thought they were curing demon possession but the truth of the matter is they're just making people less fucking crazy by by burning out their crazy Right, uh, isn't 5-HT2A um, also massively proliferated in schizophrenia? Yes, that's one of the things that, uh, along with dopamine dysregulation, and that's there is, there, there, a lot of times in literature they'll focus on the dopamine dysregulation aspect of schizophrenia, but one of the other things that is a huge part of schizophrenia is too many 5-HT2A receptors. And schizophrenia is a waking nightmare. You, yeah. you, you, are, you are just in... in in a world full of demons, you see them all around you. It's literal right. stuff that people have in they're their nightmares. Stuck. Yeah. They're, they're basically stuck tripping at all times. Yeah, but because, not, no, not but that's, that's the other point, by the way. And they're not so, happy trips so because you have more set and setting. Yeah. And so if you're constantly tripping and the world around you is scary, you're constantly being in a nightmare world. Right, exactly. Because yeah. that's so, one, of, one of the main things. Uh, so the point is to burn out all your fucking crazy yeah. at once. Yeah. Uh, and it's the uh, it, and that's what what is going on is that. Your brain is is always producing a certain ambient amount of all these various chemicals. Mm -hmm. If you have more of the receptor, you're more sensitive to it. So right. people who have more of the 5-HT2A receptor are more sensitive to, to their the brain's own right. you know, tripping chemical. And so mm -hmm. you don't want to be tripping all the time. It's like no, you want to be a little more um, dead to it. <laughs> right, exactly. You, wanna, you know, if there is a... There's, there's always a reason why your brain has the ability to do that. Right, you know, right. there is a, there is a, there's a reason why that exists, and there is a temporary. It's state. a system that right. was developed it's a, for a use, a particular use. Exactly, it's, for, it's actually kind of for overcoming trauma. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Wait. <coughs> when your tribe gets killed and you know you've been a basket weaver your entire life and you specialize to it at a certain point you need to completely throw away all your ideas of how the world works and be able to adapt to a completely new situation which means you need to break down everything that you know that, and, and restart that's a really interesting so, thing about depression is that uh, depression part of depression right yeah. it may actually correlate to and then the fact that, that we have what is it uh, prolactin increase during depression and and things that happen it seems to break down synapses so exactly as you said you're breaking ties with your past because that turned out terrible yeah it's like, so, so that's no and there's but then there's you have to be able to rebuild useful there's mm -hmm. things that they both thought were absolute truths that they that they hinge their entire idea of reality on that mm -hmm. are just no longer even there they're right. no longer valid uh, and so that's why you know the, the funny thing with the uh, depression uh, has survived evolution for a reason Right, in other and words. It's, it's because there is it's it's part of a mechanism that just kind of sometimes it gets stuck and needs to get kicked. You know, it's like a it's like a, a you know a flooded engine or a, you know there's there's points at which that systems that are supposed to be cycling can just get stuck in one right. state and and they you know they get clogged up basically and you have to plunge them. <laughs> yeah, you got to smack it on the side. You know, give it a good Blow smack it and a let it get on the and then it starts back up and it's going again. Uh, and that's that's something that you see in, in all of these different biological systems. And it's not you, you shouldn't be, d you know, doing things that are constantly supplementing you. Like you don't, you shouldn't be. 
a person who's that's, that's one of the great things about uh, what we see in other types of medicines where you know you're you, you, you don't want somebody to always be on crutches if they stay on those damn crutches they're going to destroy their ability to walk mm-hmm. uh, you know there's a time there's they an atrophy, need it yeah. they need the fucking crutch when they just they just broke or, their leg yeah because their injury is going to get so much worse if right they if they keep walking on that broken yeah. leg they're going to fucking destroy it but there's a point at which you then also have to push them okay now it's because the crutch will destroy you and then the crutch will destroy you so <laughs> yeah. it's like not having the crutch will destroy you at one point and having the crutch will destroy you at the next point right. there is this you know there is a kind of a, a procedure of it's yeah. a moving balance, like right. a, an a, active. Yeah, and it is situational. So, mm-hmm. so you know that's and so so it's not you know it's not an easy thing to do, and that's why uh, I think it's very important to have uh, you know controls on psilocybin, mm-hmm. so that you have and thing, things that are um, uh, shit that, that are these interventions. They mm-hmm. do take some professional knowledge and understanding of the situation to be able to apply it properly mm-hmm. and not just willy-nilly uh you know and so i i do believe that you know it still needs to have some sort of professional oversight in the use of these things but uh well set of setting alone is so important that you absolutely would need a retreat doctor type environment where the what they provide you uh emotionally can help you through the trip because yeah absolutely yeah. yeah the uh the you're emotional because that's one of the things like whatever you're thinking about a lot oh that's the other thing that, mm-hmm. I've, that I've noticed is that uh, uh, I think that that one of the things that when they're using this when they start to develop this therapy a little better they need to be aware of the possibility of excitotoxicity because that's pos- part of what what happens with the use of these strong agonists is the possibility of excitotoxicity. But the thing is, excitotoxicity by itself is not necessarily a bad thing. There are certain, I believe the brain uses excitotoxicity to, to, how is it that you delete Mm. information in your brain? Mm. There are times when you find out something is wrong, that you need to delete the mm-hmm. information. Right. You, you, when you, you need to break those synapses. Or, right. You know, and so there's a certain point. I think that your brain actually uses excitotoxicity sometimes mm-hmm. to delete information that is faulty. Interesting. But then, like, think about how much if you just delete a vast swath of information all mm-hmm. at once, then you're talking about way too much uh, a destabilization of, of the system. So you're saying it would be useful to have a guidance, almost like a cognitive behavior, like a cognitive... Um, therapy to go along with the physical well it's just like uh, I you know I love the metaphor kind of you know I, I like the use of stories and things like mm-hmm. that to represent in general more specific we uh, love a good story <laughs> damn right Tyrion uh, with um, uh, with the matrix they have him like oh he's too old he's too old he's gonna pop and you know how he's like he's he, like when he first gets exposed to the idea oh, of the matrix he's, he's like old. puking and yeah. you know and the truth matters that there is some truth to that where uh, you know I don't I believe that extremely religious people who have a particular belief about the world and things like that, that if they were exposed to proof that their particular religion was wrong, that it actually might harm them. It might li- really, really genuinely damage their well-being. Uh, and so that there's a certain point at which that, uh, that, that it would basically, they'd have to delete too much. Uh, you know, because there's so much, so much data that's dependent upon these, these basis 
you know, things in truth that are represented by actual structures in the brain. They're, they're, that, you know, this information is real structures, and if you're going to delete it, maybe mm-hmm. because it's wrong, then where the fuck does all that dependent information go? Well, if it's dependent, it has to be deleted. And then if everything in your life was dependent mm-hmm. on these, you know, these certain concepts, basic yeah. truths and concepts and all of this, then basically you end up with this cascading deletion, you know, sort of thing that mm-hmm. can totally just fuck you up. And so it's like, but at the same time, something can be said for the, the well, the therapeutic effect of tripping, where you actually see what it is that you've been holding back this whole time, and all the all the, the tor the torrents of emotion and pain and all of that that you've been carrying, and you're like, oh, I should probably let go of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what's <laughs> probably neat is, similar is the tripping state. The, they basically you have a lot of activation all throughout the brain, and so what you're doing is by simultaneous activation you are are examining concepts from angles which are not stereotyped in mm-hmm. other words you're comparing you're information all of it that you under your normal circumstances would never compare because they are theoretically unrelated mm. in your opinion but then you may see well, relations but, between but information is, that opinion and is important opinion is somewhat important uh, because what we believe is related that's how the brain activates but at the same time not always because we do have evidence that when a person thinks uh, is given a word bird Mm-hmm. They think of like every possible iteration of that word, including a woman in a British slang, every single bird type, big birds, little birds. Last time they heard the word bird, all that happens in a couple of milliseconds until it all collapses into whatever the proper context is for that conversation. But for a split second, all all that's related to it does light up. But some of that may be... Yeah, you know what's funny is, is you, you haven't been following any of the conversations in the foundations of mine. Nope. But, but you, what you just described was part of a major thread that we were talking about with semiotics. You say that language. to me like once a week yeah. or so. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we're on the talking same about how the how the brain and language are related and how there's this, these, these things about the way that context refines uh, the, the meaning of something down from all those possibilities mm-hmm. down to one specific thing. You know, like the, the like the word bird. It does relate to a lot of different things. How like a bird is a woman mm-hmm. in in British slang, but it can be all these other things. And there's a lot of words that are ambiguous like that. Mm-hmm. And, and how we reduce that ambiguity down to to a finer point is uh, is very important in mm-hmm. the way that the brain works. Uh, so it's just uh, it's funny that you ended up because that, that was that was part of a, a an overall discussion on you know. Uh, the emergence of consciousness and how difficult it would be to create AI because of this, all of these things that go into refining context. So yes, while we do talk about hard science that is our both of our degrees, um, we are extremely esoteric people, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quite. We are Gnostics, in fact. Yeah. So, um... Mushrooms. Was, uh, do what? Uh, mushrooms. <laughs> mushrooms, yes. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about the psilocybin thing. I sure hope that they start because, you know, they, they, one of the things that they only really approved it for before was the use with people who were dying. Mm-hmm. They end up basically having a much more peaceful and, and fearless um, passing. passing. In other words, people who are, who are terminal, that they've found in study after study that the use of psilocybin, and they end up having, making peace with their, their surroundings. Their, and they, a lot of times they have, uh, if they are religious, they have religious... Um, what's it called? A religious event, a religious uh, experience, uh, and so and, and they, in one way or another, either if they're completely secular yeah. or if they're religious, basically they're able to combine all their memories and ideas to find they, some sort of peace. They find themselves one with 
everything. And that's because <laughs> a lot of the crazy has to do with ambiguity, too much ambiguity mm -hmm. and, and conflict in your own brain. Uh, that's I, I, I believe that, so that, that five H five H yes five H T two A receptors are representative of doubts where you're where because you have to maintain when you haven't made up your mind about something mm -hmm. you have to maintain multiple alternative ideas about something mm -hmm. and yeah. so how is it where where are those points marked in the brain of how yeah. you have all these multiple ideas that you you're still maintaining so, so let's say you have uh, yeah you have the, the um, what are they called? Not thresholds, but you um, probabilities, likelihoods. You have like, right. let's say you you are you are you have a big. Uh, this is my metaphor. You have a, you have a big b box of facts, uh, note cards, and you're pulling them out and you're stacking them into different piles and around this topic. And so you're not sure which one of these. And so while right. you're stacking so them, you have to. This one's right. probable, and this one's probable, and, and there's not enough data. This to was really like seventy-five percent. This one's fifty. And this then thirty. And then basically, what, what with the uh, activation, you end up being able to take information from elsewhere that you have all of these um, these probabilities and start comparing them at, at various levels. And then uh, and then by doing so, you're able to kind of make up your mind about certain things and say, okay. You know, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna make a sort of decision. I can revisit this later, but I can kind of rely on it now because it's closer. It wasn't like this 50-50, and now it's more like 90-10, and so now it's a more reliable you know thing that fits better with all of my other beliefs. Because you end up having you know when you have all these different alternating beliefs that are kind of in conflict with each other, you end up having a mind that is kind of disjointed and incapable. You can end up having indecision lead to more indecision, lead to more indecision, lead to more, so you're completely indecisive about every fucking thing. And if you can at least get back to kind of a middle area where you're saying, okay, now I've kind of got a system that overall agrees with itself from a wide variety of angles because you've taken out a lot of those doubt points that are represented by those 5-HT2A receptors. I think that that's uh, part of the, the kind of the mechanics of how it ends up uh, leading to that sort of peaceful... Uh, after effect is that you, you kind of make up your mind. You say, it's like, okay, I looked at all this information and while I was tripping, I was thinking through all of these various doubts that I have and, you know, and I've, got, and I've, I've been able to make a decision. I've been able to come to something kind of stable and it fits with not just this little tiny area, but it fits with my beliefs over here. It fits with my beliefs over here. And, you know, in all these different places, the, 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 it makes a bigger machine that is more coordinated and less in conflict with itself and because we all have to have you know you can't just make up your mind about everything all the time you have to maintain some level of doubts but I think that that's when you, you, you get into this analysis paralysis point where you haven't made up your mind about anything that can start cascading into mm -hmm. just massive more and more doubts and more and more places yeah. because none of them ever it's like a fabric you know, unraveling you pull one right. string and, and so somehow the, all of it's was contingent right. on well, because all of it's based on doubt. Each one of them's yeah. like, oh, I got doubt here and here and here and here. And basically, everything that I'm looking at right now, I haven't made my mind up at an right. earlier point. And I haven't made up my mind at an earlier point from that set of information and from that set of information. And so you just be, you know, I, think, that, I think that's the way. Yeah, fractal doubt. Uh, it's a, I think that is what ends up making uh, um, the, the unhealthy mind is all this doubt. And, that's, and I think that's why religion has, has typically performed it's a function. Have such a death grip on it. Well, no, it's performed <laughs> no. a function of stability. Yeah. Yes. Is that people have uh, a way to, uh, a rubric by which to say, I, I can just make up my mind automatically. I don't have to have all this doubt. Mm -hmm. I can make up my mind automatically because that doesn't fit with my religion, period. Poof, done. Now I'm certain. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't have this feeling, this this and the religion grinding itself. in my gut about you know what's what's real, what's true, what's and I just have this basis by which to right, go. And that's on. what religion provides. It provides a basis of right, certainty exactly. about your existence. And so we, so that's and that's the way in which I think that various belief systems can be thought of as religious because they they are basically just a they're a worldview basis to explore from and to to because you know you do want to go out and look at those things that are doubtful but you need to have somewhere that you can back up to something that you can compare to and, uh, i think that's how uh, how that whole system ends up you know working together cool um uh, yeah and then the, the thing i want to just add to to the the drugs aspect of it is that a lot of what why are we you know talking about why did fda have to approve ketamine well that's obviously approved uh, fda has to approve it for a medical setting but why was it like a drug and uh, why did we have to legalize mushrooms like what is happening why is this all a thing well i just i don't know how many people know that there's this thing called schedule one um a classification of drugs as schedules and schedule one uh drug uh, it's a drug that includes substances that are not recognized for medical use um, and that the Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA, defines as having a high potential for abuse and dependence. Weed is a Schedule One drug. Psilocybin is a Schedule One drug. Yeah, that's just so ridiculous. It's patently uh, uh, false. Unfortunately, our regulation a a agencies don't have people who have any knowledge of you know, neuroscience, making, making do, policy but, about No, they do, but those aren't the people funding the policies. Those aren't the people yeah. funding the candidates who are voting. No, a lot of times they, so. don't, they don't, though. No, they seriously oh, have people who are just rando off the street making decisions about, about scientific su subjects. Who then never read uh, what it was even about in the right. first place. Right, and yeah. so that's how they have, have it in Schedule 1, because yeah. that just the mildest education in, in neuroscience, you wouldn't have it at fucking Schedule 1. Yep, exactly. Uh, just, At least Schedule just the 3. Tiniest too many bit of information. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, like so good, good on Denver. And then, of course, the article um, that got passed, it was, uh, as I mentioned, 49.36% uh, to 50.64%. So just literally half a percent. But that's 90,000 people versus 87,000 votes. 90,000 votes versus 87,000 votes. So it's still a lot of votes. But yeah. when you look at the percentage-wise, it's just such a tiny, tiny, barely, barely made it, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the purpo purpose of this uh, article is to A, deprioritize to the greatest extent possible imposition of criminal penalties on persons 21 years of age and older for the personal use and personal possession of psilocybin mushrooms, and to prohibit the city and county of Denver from spending resources on imposing criminal penalties on persons 21 years of age older and older for the personal use and personal possession of psilocybin mushrooms. So, hmm. possession and use. Growth may be another issue, but... Yeah. yeah, I think that, that... But, I mean, if you grow it and possess it, that seems to be the same thing. Yeah, they definitely need to decriminalize it, and that will lead towards uh, more uh, more ability Research. for doctors and things like that to eventually start using it as a, thera uh, mm -hmm. as a therapy. True, too. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a little worrisome because there are times, like, for instance, if you solidify your beliefs around something... You could say say you're in a you know cult I at the time, say. <laughs> and if you're in a cult at the time that has just well, if you're a Scientologist or something, right. you know, like and then and then you solidify your belief system or a feminist and get rid of all your doubts uh, and solidify your belief system around something like that, yeah. then yeah, it's that's not that's not necessarily good. Right. It'll be you'll probably be happier overall, but uh, your belief system in the, lo but, in the long well, term right. could so, really lead to some Right, some are we talking about effects? happier in a year or in 10 years? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> so. so, yeah. 
so of course even something as amazing as that we're all for as this oh and then one of the other things I've got a problem with is whenever people th you know they either it's either 100% good or it's 100% oh, right, right. bad uh, like weed it's like no it's both <laughs> yeah no there's there's both <laughs> there's potential for like one of the things and then the other thing that, that's really been bothering me is all the micro dosing it's like psilocybin mm, yeah. micro dosing it's the best uh, yeah, no, I, no, they do LSD <laughs> microdosing. That's what I would think. Well, well, they probably do all of them. They probably to do be honest. Yeah. But, but yeah. either way, microdosing is is good for if say if you're hyper conservative. That's what you want to do. <laughs> if you're hyper conservative, it would probably be good for you. If you were hyper liberal, liberal, it'd probably be very bad for you. And that's the the, the, the thing is when you are when you're closer to the the pedantic and not particularly creative. Then expanding your creativity slightly by addition uh, by adding a little bit of doubt in your uh, you know strongly super strongly held beliefs uh, and being th and therefore being able to look back at them and say well maybe I should reexamine that's a good idea but if you're already somebody who has a tremendous amount of doubt in a lot of various things and you're maintaining just huge amounts of doubt increasing that in doubt it, it would be a very bad thing so microdosing here's the thing what I'm talking about here. Is that microdosing is uh, a, a methodology? Which one of the things that you have in uh, receptor densities is that sure, acute doses downregulate the receptor, but low doses of things can cause something called desensitization and upregulation. So what happens is because it, there's a low dose there, your your brain uh, will go in the opposite direction, so create get to it. more. Uh, start your the receptors that are there instead of completely reducing them it detects that there's an uh, that there is a need for a higher amount being there what I mean by this is that um, the, the way that homeostasis is maintained is by relying upon certain things upstream occurring well, it's like when you're and, that, and then so the, uh, so certain adaptive strategies are what you know your what your uh, cells respond to one of those adaptive strategies is if there's a constant amount of this right, neurochemical flies around, flying around you you're going to create in a small amount more things to catch them <laughs> in, in a small amount well then it's the then, then that means that the system needs to adapt to this new level that is just a little bit higher that which is kind of within the way that's within the range that your brain would normally be producing chemicals so microdosing is a lot more like a lot more like mimicking what your brain naturally does and so therefore if you've got microdosing of 5-HT2A agonists, agonists which are the LSD or psilocybin right. then your brain's going to upregulate those receptors and so you end up with more of those receptors that when you have too many of them the thing that makes you crazy or <laughs> make you crazy so the thing is yes I think that there are certain people who will increase their, their, their creativity increase their creativity because there are people who are very uh, let, let's be honest. Uh, you know, I, as a as a programmer and a, as a you know Asperger's, I was basically robotic as a as a child. But then as I got older, obviously I increased my levels of doubt about things and were able to overcome certain completely handicaps, sta static and yeah, you know, basically like a handicap, which is you know you you end up like more like a computer. You can memorize and regurgitate information at a, an astounding rate. You know, and, and you can access those uh, that, that and, and bring it back up like a computer. But a computer doesn't understand things. It doesn't have that thing that, that makes us greater than computers. And that has to do with our, our ability to doubt. Uh, and it has to do with our, the way in which we collate information. But it's uh, funny you mentioned that because, that. well, but no, as, as uh, Egregious Charles mentioned, uh, there aren't, 
uh, those people that are making decisions in the schedules and all that, they're not average. <laughs> they're actually specifically selected uh, to be able to work in a bureaucracy. So right. robotic so, yes, <laughs> in a being, way. Being robotic I mean, <laughs> is very useful for, for uh, computer programming, for mathematics, being extremely good at robotic. Part of a bureaucracy. Uh, yeah, robotic uh, sorts of uh, stereotype behaviors, repetitive stereotype behaviors, being able to do them very automatically. I mean, I used to be uh, a machinist as a kid. I, I my, my, my family was, and so, you know, Repetitively, repetitively doing the same job the most efficient possible way and the best, over and over like, and over, and over for hours too. and hours on end standing at a lathe. You know that's something that I I, I, I was very good at. I was extremely good at that. Uh, but there's a you know there sounds <laughs> so like there's my a worst nightmare. <laughs> there's a value to uh, to but that is offset. And so so the thing is yes, there's a level of creativity that is missing when you're not capable of when when you're. There's just this balance between analysis paralysis and efficiency, and and you you go too far one side or the other, and you you end up with disability. But right. the disability comes with a great strength as well, right. just like being fully autistic. You can be an autistic savant and be able to you know do these amazing things with your brain, Beats. and also be completely limited in other ways. Mm -hmm. And so there's a level of balance that I think that people microdosing, if they are very pedantic, I think that those people would end up being more creative and, and it would grant them some value. But the people who are more creative already and therefore are they already have a lot of noise. So it's like people who are pedantic have, uh, they have a very clean signal. Mm -hmm. They're really uh, Strong, good at making clean. sure that they don't have faulty information. Very mm -hmm. good at that. They miss a whole lot of the new information that would be more valuable because they're not willing to risk right. that having noise in their signal. And, and then there are people who are willing to have just tons of noise to get every last drop of signal. They want all the signal and they end up with just shit tons of noise in there with it. All these faulty beliefs and stuff like that. And so that's part of that doubting brain sort of perspective. And so yeah, the, those people who are already quite creative who already aren't making these connections between things that aren't necessarily, um, you know, true, then that those creative people, I think, would be damaged by mm -hmm. microdosing. And so it's just understanding this the, that there is a um, what brain type is taking it. What brain right. type is taking it? It's not. It can't. It's not a pure good. It's not. Right. You know. It's not a pure good. And it's a they, those people by microdosing would be harmed. But by megadosing, which is the acute agonism that would downregulate, they would probably be made more stable, more, basically they need to be brought more towards the pedantic side, right. more towards the cleaning up the signal. Like all know. the feminists! <laughs> so were you like Rain Man? <laughs> um, you know, maybe a little. <laughs> But that, uh, that's not Asperger's. That's that's full on autistic spectrum. Yeah, that's full on uh, autistic. Autistic savant. I, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I may have been. Uh, I feel almost, like you're a bit of a fully, Yeah, I may have been almost fully autistic when I was very young. Actually, I mean, it was uh, it, it was pretty extreme. People. You, you yeah. have savant abilities when it comes to understanding, though. Right. So, it, it, but I've changed so tremendously. Yeah, you are socially. You are. I am unrecognizable from my childhood self. I mean, it's. And as, as a matter of fact, my childhood self would have thought that I'm a really bad guy. The funny thing too is that uh, how awkward it is now for people to to understand that because you have changed so much. You are so charming and you know socially fluid and that that's that hard fucking work. Man. That nobody would ever guess that you're actually <laughs> truly a nerd and like you know because you you don't look at it and you don't act it. Yeah, well, I used to. So. Uh, I still I still acted quite a lot. I mean, there's but well, but now it's not, purposeful. Not a, not now it's like social. I don't give a fuck. Right. Fuck you if you don't like the, that I act nerdy. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's kind of like, yes, I know that, they, that this kind of turns you off to a certain extent, and I don't give a great big flying fuck. Well, one thing is talking <laughs> about nerdy subjects. Another one is acting nerdy. You don't yeah. act nerdy. That's the thing. Yeah. You don't realize how, well, you probably do, but you are extremely um, charming, smooth individual when you're talking to people. I suppose. They don't have any idea that you're not one of them. You're not yeah. a socializer. If I decide that I want to to be, uh, if I true. decide I want to look that way, that's if very I true. decide I want to uh, have that persona where I'm fitting in with that sort of uh, well, That's, that's what then, I'm talking about. I suppose usually I one time interaction. I just really dislike uh, that. Yeah. I just, you know, there's just a... Uh, but it is part of a necessity of our job in meeting people, recruiting people, you know, yeah, to a certain extent. To, to not necessarily. Our I, I still job, hold the line and drag people towards yes. being okay with you know uh, being more nerdy, more geeky, more uh, realistic about about humanity. More and that's because it's basically a more truthful, real. But you do it in such of, a sexy, charismatic way. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate. It. I mean, yeah, people don't like it. They, they're like, why are you making my brain hurt? I don't want to think ever. <laughs> But they somehow still go along. You, you silver tongue devil. <laughs> oh, yes. terrible, terrible person. No, I just try to tell the truth and try to help people see my perspective. And a lot of times, I try to keep a, a perspective that is looking at all the various things. And, and whenever anybody wants to doubt me, I am immediately yes, please doubt me, mm -hmm. ask me, challenge me, let me. Let oh, me that's answer. not a socially powerful position. No, it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, being doubtful, allowing <laughs> doubt. No, that's not socially powerful at all. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> speaking of social, we had some other topics we were supposed to get into here, right? Uh, totally. And that's exactly where we go. Um, <laughs> so, cool. yeah, um, going from uh, the brain and the drugs, um, let's go uh, to a bit of a what would seem like um, tangent. A tangent? Yeah. Mm, but I don't know. We oh, shall bring it back around. <laughs> yes, no, it's definitely connected. Yes. Uh, so here we are, Starlink mission, motherfuckers. Uh, however, uh, it's actually not. Um, uh, we're waiting for SpaceX May 16th. So um, the, the live stream is actually not live. Um, it should have been on the 16th. Uh, but if you go to uh, spacex.com slash webcast, you will be able to see the Starlink uh, mission blast off, lift off, all of it as soon as it goes live. The reason it's not live right now SpaceX is postponing our launch of 60 Starlink satellites, and they're going to do that seven times to have a base of 420 satellites <laughs> in space, which is just the base number that they need. Uh, eventually, from what I heard, it needs to be about 15,000 or so. But Elon is known for his 420 tweets ever since dating Grimes. So uh, <laughs> Internet Today brought this up, that it, that's a that's cute funny. little, um, yeah, seven launches of 60 satellites. So they're doing their first one. And they're saying they're postponing the launch to update satellite software and triple check everything again. Always wanting to do everything we can on the ground to maximize mission success. So, uh, so they're let, not let, me, right let, let me introduce <laughs> this, uh, a segue here. Sure. So, um, conspiracy so, theorists. We can talk more about Starlink mission in a second. <laughs> there, there, is a, there is a crossover between disinformation people and conspiracy theorists. And that is that there is always a little bit of truth, uh, little pieces, little fragments of truth tied up in uh, a conspiracy theorist, theorist na narrative and there's always um, uh, uh, the you mix truth with lies to create disinformation uh, and so there's uh, and, and being able to 
get them so close that you can't separate the noise from the signal gets most people tires most people out uh, and basically they just uh, go to the more um, I just I'm not going to introduce the possibility of being wrong by examining that information and possibly gathering something that is false but then there are people who are a little more um, a little more schizotypal a little more willing to to risk that noise and that'll go after it and then they a lot of times will fall prey to disinformation and so there's this cut crossover between the two that is an interesting area that is dangerous territory but if you, so long as you don't take it too seriously and and know it's just you're you're you you're probably you're more likely to end up wrong than you are right and it's just you're doing it for fun exploration creativity and just kind of as a uh, as a as for funsies then you'll probably be uh, more safe and you, you'll know you'll end up uh, seeing in retrospect after people finally sort out it's like oh that ended up being true well that's cool that one little piece of all of that other bullshit because <laughs> right. there was one little piece of truth mixed in with just 10 tons of complete and utter bullshit cool <laughs> and you'll see it in re retrospect but you can't ever really uh, feel bad that you didn't know beforehand that that was truth when looking at all the bullshit because mm -hmm. it's just sometimes it's impossible there's just too much there's not enough information available uh, between the false information and true information so with that said uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, go along and talk about some of the things some of the uh, the things that are a little more separable first and then maybe some of the things that are not uh, along uh, lines of conspiracy theory like one of the things that you may have heard is this 5g is gonna melt your brain uh, and there and I'm gonna tell you that there is a piece of truth to that uh, conspiracy theory so go ahead you were gonna talk a little bit more about it so before I go off on that tangent no problem um, that's that's really not much more to it other than the fact that um, Starlink I just kind of wanted to throw in uh, even though we're not doing um, new seed but we did uh, skip a couple of weeks due to a variety of events so I just wanted to throw in a, a recent news that um, is related but not directly so what's happening is uh, with the Starlink Commission and this uh, is as part of the press kit that I'm looking at right now so when you guys go to the spacex.com um, you can watch the launch below um, starting about 15 minutes before liftoff and find out more about our mission in the press kit so here's the press kit Basically, what they're doing is they are uh, launching um, 60 satellites that are going to have, let's see, Starlink FAQ, um, KU, or K, um, what is the lowercase u called? Umlaut in, in Latin? Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, KU bands and KA bands, but the U's and the A's, they're like the, the special, like, you know, U torrent. Oh, oh, that's that's it. That'd be nano, micro, things like that. Right. Yeah. So they're they're talking about. I don't really know what it means, but uh, KU bands and KA bands, uh, and these are uh, wide, uh, broadband frequencies uh -huh. that are being used. And the the bands that are being used is the KU and the KA. But I don't know if it's actually U and A. It may be like umlaut and alpha. I don't know. Um, so these uh, satellites uh, were will be um, ten thousand to twelve gigahertz others will be 17,000 no 17 uh, to 19 gigahertz others will be 14 to 15 27 to 30 so it looks like the biggest gigahertz number that they're going for is 30 gigahertz um, for like the satellites the uplinks and the things and why are they doing all of this what is all of this well they're gonna be launching a bunch of satellites uh, which there was an image of it but um, yeah a lot of satellites around the earth and uh, that will cause a, uh, a network, Starlink. 
a network of satellites that will bathe Earth in a Wait, broadband. How many internet. gigahertz? The, what was the highest? The highest is 30. 30, just 30 gigahertz just or 30,000? 30, well, it 30? says, it, yeah, I know. It says 30.0. So I'm assuming just 30 it's 30. gigahertz. I'm assuming it's just 30. I don't okay. know why I said 1,000. The, the dot fucked me up. In Russian, the dot is the comma okay, and vice versa. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Um, yeah, so the, the biggest one is only 30. Okay. Yeah. So, standard. Not a big deal. Um, so this isn't a problem. Like, the, no, there's nothing wrong with Star Lake. For some reason, I felt like there was that I, I, I conflated two different stories. And so I was just searching the internet, found this awesome Reddit uh, in the, the, our, uh, su uh, the Starlink um, subreddit where they give all the information, the exact uh, broadband, the exact frequency, everything. And I was just pouring over it uh, to try to figure out what, what is the problem here. There is no problem. Everything's fine. Right. So <laughs> Starlink is going to give the world internet. Amazing. That's great. I'm so happy about and it. And now I'm going to tell you what's potentially wrong with it. So, uh, <laughs> here we have an article from Network World um, that says, oh, hey, like 5G is great and all, which we don't currently have 5G. We have 4G, but we're on our way to 5G. And they're already saying, hey, yeah, that's great and all, except for the fact that it isn't because terahertz will provide more bandwidth than, than the gigahertz. Uh, the, the 5G doesn't mean, the G doesn't mean anything, the 4E, 3E, yeah, it's 5G. Just a naming it's just a naming convention. Yeah. But just so happens that we are talking about going from G, gigahertz, to terahertz. And that's the problem. And uh, so how does, oh shit, I'm sorry, what are we looking at? How terahertz waves tear apart DNA? I'm sorry, how is Network World telling us that terahertz will provide more bandwidth that we, researchers say that 5G won't be able to accommodate the growing demand for bandwidth. And there's a bunch of articles about this. Terahertz frequency network will be the better option. But right here, MIT Technology Review says the terahertz waves tear apart DNA. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, and there's tons and tons of articles about how, how exactly how uh, terahertz does uh, tear apart DNA. So. So here's the thing. So that's basically what we're looking at now is that 6G, if we allow it, will be fucking terrible. Uh, and on so many levels, it's, uh, it's hard to uh, describe. And why is it that just the, what, that there's this one specific frequency range? Like, why is it that if we just go up, uh, you know, in a frequency range, that suddenly things are horrible? Well, I mean, uh, to put it simply, you know, uh, you, you know that uh, uh, purple light isn't going to really hurt you, whereas UV uh, can damage you, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it has to do with resonance. There are certain frequencies that resonate with DNA that resonate uh, in a certain way. So, so here's the thing. The 5G networks that are going up right now, one of the things that they were able to do is they, they were able to use current equipment to be able to get to certain gigahertz ranges already. Then they have to upgrade the equipment. So mm -hmm. one of the things that they're doing all over Sacramento where 5G is being implemented uh -huh. is they're upgrading the equipment. Whenever you upgrade equipment, if you're smart, you make sure that you upgrade it so that it is useful for the future. You future proof it. Not just now. Yeah. So therefore, this means that all of those networks that they're putting up in Sacramento and anywhere that they will be putting up 5G networks, including, and I would, uh, I, I would assume, including in the satellites, is the capability to pr produce 
terahertz because okay. anybody in technology and anybody and everybody in technology is saying the next thing is going to be 6G is what, they're, uh, is what mm -hmm. some people yeah. are calling it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that is terahertz. And the problem is that the people who are in technology are not looking at biology. And in, in biology, there is just tons of evidence that terahertz, it will fuck you up in a variety of ways. Why will it fuck you up? The best way to, uh, to describe this is that um, one of the things that, that has been uh, talked about a lot in one of the groups I frequent is called Froelich Coherence. And uh, the best way I can describe this is, well, first off, there is something called a Bose-Einstein condensate, where, where basically you have a collection of things that once they resonate at a certain frequency, they become, they act like a single entity. Uh, and so basically you're, you're creating new borderlines on something. Um, and if you, uh, if, if you think about, and I have to hit a couple of different things here, so bear with me in a second as I kind of assemble this from various other concepts so you can better understand it. And that is, um, so you know how when you, uh, a, a, an opera singer can reach a certain frequency to make a, a glass break. That's because they're, she's resonating it. So basically energy gets stored and is not released before that, um, that object flexes so much that it overcomes the ability for it to flex. And so you can shatter a wine glass with your voice mm -hmm. uh, if you have if you hit the right frequency and the glass is thin enough and and is and is shaped in a way that can store the energy that you're pumping into it with your the frequency of you the sound that you're producing so that it will overly flex and then break apart. So that that's simple enough by itself, but in biology, uh, biological molecules are very complex in their shape. So something that we've only started to really understand fairly recently is the concept of quasi-crystals. So in crystals, which are basically things with a regular structure, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's easy to use resonance to, to pump something full of energy and make it you know, output something of very high energy. That's, what, that's, that's a, kind of the principle of how lasers work. And so dealing with just regular crystals, that makes sense. But something that isn't very regular in its organization until recently, we didn't realize there's something called a higher or order regularity. So in quasi-crystals, this is like one of, the, one of my favorite examples of a quasi-crystal is the, um, uh, let's see, a Penrose tiling. And, and so basically, it, it's semi-regular in that if you look at it, well, only a few pieces of it, it looks like it's, you know, it's got these uh, particular shapes that it's made of. But then as you start to assemble them, it, those shapes can't repeat because it's a five-sided figure. Mm -hmm. And so they can't just have a repeat like a, a, a square grid. A bunch of, a grid of just squares is infinitely repeating. So mm -hmm. you can, you know, you can place one part of it over another part of it. And that's why you can set up resonance in it. You know, it's, it's very easy to set up resonance in it. And you can set up resonance at lots of different frequencies in it. However, in a quasi-crystal, you can only set up resonance at particular frequencies because there is a type of regularity that happens at a higher order. So what, what the, if you want to look into this yourself, uh, one of the best ways to see this is called quasi-crystal diffraction. So there are these patterns when you set, send light through uh, a crystal, for instance, then you can get this diffraction pattern that is regular, that is produced from something that is only semi-regular. So the point here is to understand that there can be these patterns of things that look like they are non-regular, 
that have a hidden symmetry. And these hidden symmetries exist in biological molecules. Mm -hmm. So there's something called bromate condensation, where you can actually create something that's like a, uh, like, um, a Bose-Einstein condensate in biological molecules. And we actually uh, see this happen in, um, in, in some uh, brain cells and things like that. There's these interesting patterns that we're starting to discover can occur in biological molecules. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that we've discovered that can happen in biological molecules is you can, with DNA, for instance, you can do that wine glass trick. You can find something to cause it to resonate and cause it to shatter. And that, and because you're basically creating borders where there should not be ones, then pumping in energy until it can no longer flex, and then it rips apart. And so that happens with terahertz frequencies, with DNA, with biological molecules, and there is this interesting use of terahertz in, even in the brain, where we find that there, like, um, uh, there's a did you did you post all of the studies I gave you because I of will them be in the um, so you can you guys can find the resources for this talk as well as the audio mp3 of this conversation on patreon.com slash Cherry in the next coming week or two so make sure to follow that or become a patron but you can go ahead and follow it so anyway there's there are all nerve that cells. will be there okay good there are nerve cells that, uh, they've, they've proven that nerve cells actually respond to terahertz frequencies and perhaps our brain might even use terahertz frequencies, but and they're looking can, at- Can neurons sense millimeter waves? Right, and millimeter, by the way, millimeter wave and terahertz, that's basically the same terminology uh, because it just so happens that terahertz is around the size of one millimeter per wavelength. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the point is that the, it is, uh, there is a, this frequency can uh, impact brain cells and cause them cause the um, the activation pattern to change, uh, and so there's 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 a variety of issues going on here. But basically, there are effects on DNA, on the brain, basically all across biological molecules are very sensitive to terahertz range radiation, and so with this in mind, and you start looking at all of these various studies on. on many ways in which terahertz impacts uh, bio biology. It is a fucking horror that the FCC under a shit pie has uh, now approved the use of terahertz uh, frequencies in all of these th these things. So, we, so the point is, right now, we may be safe with 5G, mm -hmm. but all they gotta do is flip the switch to go right to 6G and we start just fucking nuking ourselves. Because we were not paying attention to this biological fact that is supported by massive amounts of evidence. And, and the people in technology are all about, wow, we'll be able to get so much more information packed into these higher frequencies. You know, this is, it's, it's so much better. We need to switch to that right away. And you got lots of articles about this without any consideration that there are tons and tons of articles and studies and things that show that that frequency is, is dangerous mm -hmm. and are goddamn regulatory agency has fucking already approved it. So how long do you think it's going to be before they take those satellites and there's nowhere safe on earth that you can get a, that, that you can go to get away from this 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 fucking uh, bombardment with a uh, with something that is extremely dangerous 
to your brain, to to yeah. your uh, to your cells. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's mind blowing that we're just so damn disconnected that something this dangerous could end up happening from our fucking stupid greed. Uh, and we're not there yet, but uh, we we bet somebody better start yelling loudly enough, saying, "Hey, those uh, those conspiracy theorists—they're just they were they were." They were grasping at something with the wrong information, but they hit upon something that was right. It's not 5G that's the problem. It is our our we're upgrading these things and allowing them where in corporate hands, they'll be able to make the decision on their own. Then there isn't even a regulatory agency that'll stop them from doing it. Right. There's more profit to be had in the in the higher. Uh, bandwidth that will be available in 6G and they will fucking turn it on. They'll just flip the damn switch because they created technology and they're launching that shit into space and I guarantee you it can hit that frequency range as well. And so what we're dealing with is something that is just going to be fucking horrible if they do it. Just fucking horrible. Uh, and what are we doing about it? Nothing. <laughs> Not a damn thing. <laughs> well, what can we do, honestly? Uh, well, we can talk about it. We can talk about it and make sure people understand why. Because here's the thing. So that's the you, thing. Conspiracy theorists a lot of times end up muddying the waters because they don't have it. They, they sense something that may, they may be right about on some level, but then they accidentally become disinformation agents. Mm -hmm. They themselves, by transmitting the noise along with the signal and not being careful enough to say to people who are more, who are more concerned with making sure they don't get things wrong, and giving them the proof, because they're not concerned enough with it, they end up creating disinformation and make truth look like lies by mixing it with a bunch of dumb shit. And so it's uh, so it's it's an intractable problem. You can't you, you you do have to have people who are more exploratory, who are more risk taking, who go out there and find that information. But then you have to have some way of separating all the bullshit they collect along with the truth that they end up finding in there too. And so. We're just at that transition point here as well, where there's a lot. There is some level of bullshit around saying, uh, you know, being scared of five G, mm -hmm. and uh, and hopefully not enough people have sniffed that out and heard conspiracy theorists about that enough that they'll they'll actually look at it and say, ah, oh, it's just another fucking stupid conspiracy theory. No, it's not. It's, there's hard fucking science and lots of just a huge volume of hard science around that this has been has strong indications and and very direct proofs that this could be very very fucking bad and uh, and it's you know there's just not enough awareness of it so all we can do is talk about it to some extent and and, and talk about the mechanisms that make sense that people can understand so that they can spread it not through faith and just say well somebody said that this was bad so I'm saying that it's bad because I trusted that they just said no. You got to be able to understand it and convey something that makes sense. And so, hopefully, you know, uh, people will start doing that more, conveying the understanding of why it'll it, it could be bad. Well, that question about that is uh, the MIT review. Um, weren't they? Um, what were they talking about in there? I think we, that's important to bring up. Why? Why were they talking about the dangers of terahertz in the first place? Where do we currently have those terahertz that break apart the DNA? Oh, uh, and where? cells. Oh, oh, you're talking about yeah, yeah. So the, what they're talking about is millimeter wave technology at, at airports. There is, um, you know, they frisk they, into living rooms and frisk people at a distance. Yes. So 
people are using it to frisk at a distance. And so basically they are already using terahertz technology because it's been, it was approved by law enforcement, et cetera. And so, yeah, they're already exposing us directly uh, through, the, uh, through the body scanners and, uh, and, and through uh, technologies that they're implementing for law enforcement. So yeah, that's, uh, the people who were up in arms about, uh, about millimeter wave technology they were right, uh, and uh, and this needs to be. We need to put on the brakes, uh, and until and unless a massive amount of counter evidence is found to to uh, you know show how it can be made safe in any way. Because as it stands right now, there is lots of evidence that it is simply tremendously not safe at a lot of different levels. So um, we're talking about uh, here um, real quick how um, neurons can sense millimeter waves, aka terahertz, that's what the millimeter wave is, as Master mentioned, and uh, Master Raw over here. And uh, we also have this interesting thing about 6G, aka the terahertz thing, uh, potential application for terahertz spectrum, including sensing, image, wireless cognition, all of these interesting um, extra senses that they're possibly talking about. So let's talk about ingress. <laughs> okay, now, now we're going to get to the fun part. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> now for funsies and uh, conspiracy theory silliness. Um, uh, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, when, where do you want to start with that? Cause that's, uh, Anywhere you take, take it away. Okay, now, now we're going into the creative zone. Exam, uh, I guess. Hopefully we've talked about this uh, uh, we've said it enough times that people won't like fast forward at this point and think that we're very serious about anything we talk about from this point forward. Uh, but uh, there, there are some funsies to be had with ingress. And so I'm going to tell you the, some of the conspiracy theory, uh, creativity kind of fun stuff that can be um, explored with the whole ingress lore. I, okay, so if you don't know what ingress is, ingress is the... Uh, the game that was developed by um, what's his first name? Hanky. Uh, what was it again? John Hanky. John Hanky. Uh, so it was the game developed by John Hanky, uh, who you might know as connected to the CIA in some in some way, and uh, and so it is what uh, uh, provided the uh, infrastructure and data, etc., that eventually led to Pokemon Go. So, um, so Ingress is the precursor to Pokemon Go. And um, if you trace all this down to a certain extent, so Jeff, uh, Jeff, John Hankey um, was a, um, he worked for, I think the, the State Department or something, I forget exactly who he worked for, but he was, he was in government and, uh, in, and uh, worked with foreign policy. And uh, he, and then basically as part of what he was working on. Like he was actually a game developer as one of his first things, but then he was working on a project to, uh, that eventually culminated in, in Google Earth. Uh, and that was all, you know, all about mapping. And, uh, and so part of the reason why he ended up getting funding from InQtel, which is, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a basically a funding uh, arm of uh, the CIA. Uh, why he got that funding is because it was at a time when we we're still, you know, we were dealing with, uh, War and uh, and so for for helping war effort, we needed to be able to have mapping better, and so that ended up leading to um, 
better mapping technology eventually Google Earth and you know and of course so some to some extent or another some of it is probably still under the under control of the military and not 100% uh, available to the public uh, as makes sense whenever you're attempting to you know have some level of security that uh, within your um, within your war machine so so that's how um, uh, Pokemon Go is related to uh, the CIA, etc. Now, uh, the, you know, that seems, when you look at it a little more closely, it doesn't seem all that sinister that he got some funding to make a project uh, in mapping, you know, and then that eventually, because because the truth of the matter is, he was a game developer first. He made some of the first, uh, he, one of his games was the, uh, was the very first MMO. Uh, even the even the term MMO, I forget, forget what they called it, an MMOG or a I don't know. The term MMO ended up being coined uh, or solidified by someone else, but they had a term a lot like it. But it was uh, he was one of the first developers of the whole MMO genre, uh, and so he does he he is kind of a gamer at heart, and uh, and so um, I don't see him in a sinister light like some of these uh, articles end up kind of painting him because of uh, the whole CIA funding money because that is that is verifiable proof you know that the, the CIA was involved etc. Um, so now let's talk a little bit more about Ingress. So Ingress was was uh, it is it is so fucking cool when it comes to the way that it was designed. He designed the game uh, it was, by the way, it was supposed to be part of Google Glass. It was, it was going to be uh, like a... Um, it's a, a lot of what Niantic does, which is another fun story we'll get into about the name. Uh, John Hankey is the CEO of the company Niantic, which made Ingress, which made Pokemon Go, and some other Harry Potter game now. And Niantic... Um, what did you just say? Oh, I don't know. I was listening to you. <laughs> right before that. Uh, well, there's a reason why I mentioned Niantic, that it's... Um, that's the company. That okay, well, that's a, yeah, it's based on the, sh the ship Niantic, which was part oh, of San Francisco. Oh, sorry, Niantic is, uh, yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, we're talking about AR. Niantic does augmented reality. That's their thing, which is why it was part of Google Glass. Because, oh, okay, right, yeah. Yes. So, so it's going to be a flagship product for Google Glass. Because and, their whole thing is AR. And there's there's a great article uh, I, uh, that, that they... The, the, the title's clickbaity as hell. You may need yeah. to resend it to me. But I'll, I do I'll need to resend it because <laughs> yeah. it's this neat article about how these people who got into Ingress just really, really got into it. They even hid that they were Ingress players because the level of cloak and dagger that they have in Ingress is fucking great. I mean, le reading about this story, I was just, I was I was happy as I could be about how it's, it's kind of this own little hidden society where they play their own little cloak and dagger sort of uh, thing and uh, and have a lot of fun with it. But I mean, we're talking about people flying, all, literally flying all over the world to perform these certain ops, these certain operations. How the augmented reality game escalated into real world spy warfare? Yes, how, and that, that article. And so that's uh, it, it's not they're not government spies, but they were they were basically spying on the different groups in the, the Ingress game and the factions. Two factions, really. Uh, <laughs> apparently, were spying on each other, and you know it was it, it, it's a it's a fun story. Definitely should look into it. Cause, so there's people who are really geeking out. Uh, and Ingress is way more geek out than Pokemon Go. Uh, just, oh my God! Just, yes. What? The, no, it oh just yeah, is. yeah. It's it's so. Oh, well, well, see, it's weird because Pokemon is its own kind of nerd. Yeah. Which is a Pokemon nerd, and it's not really a nerd, it's just Pokemon people, because they had Pokemon when they were kids, they're, they're Pokemon, it's, it's whatever. It's sort of like Star Wars nowadays, it's perfectly acceptable. 
Right. Ingress is your weeaboo, conspiracy theory, the world hangs in the balance, things aren't oh, as they so seem, great. you're a secret agent, it's so nerdy, I love it. Oh, that's so great. Oh, um, so, so, yeah, then, um, <laughs> what was I going with? Oh, so, yeah, really recommend um, Netflix. watching Netflix. Yeah, there's an Ingress uh, anime on Netflix now that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I really recommend watching it because, and, uh, and one of the things is a lot of people are now going, so, so Ingress kind of, you know, died down a little bit, you know, uh, because it, 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 there, there is a little bit of a barrier to entry sort of thing, I suppose, because it is a little complex and we haven't even played it that much yet. No, you it have just, to drive around, play, it's, it's very intensive, much yeah, more than I can tell that, but, but uh, I think there were some people who were specifically playing Ingress, not Pokemon Go, that we were, we were noticing as mm -hmm. we were driving around. Sure were. And, uh. Uh, so and I didn't realize that there were people, and this is the neat thing about it: you don't know that there's people playing. Because you're not doing any weird hand catching stuff; you're just looking at your phone. Yep, exactly, and, and just <laughs> and, and so, tapping occasionally, like you would. Yeah, you play it a little differently. Yep. And so and so uh, and so Ingress players are more on the on the DL, mm -hmm. and, and apparently, according to that story, a lot of people play Ingress and never tell anybody who's not an Ingress player that they play Ingress. <laughs> so it's it's the the cloak and dagger part is what like gets me excited about uh -huh. it. So, it. Sounds like so much fucking fun. But um, so the uh, the the watch the anime. It it provides a lot of the storyline. But one of the neatest things is the Ingress storyline started out as uh, the whole idea was it was you know how um, AR is mixing reality with the um, with the virtual. Their storyline is purposefully mixing reality with the virtual. And so the storyline itself, so they, like they started right. disseminating lore in these little pieces and the whole, the whole background of Ingress is that it's real. Mm -hmm. That's like the, that's the, the lore of Ingress is that, is that uh, the game is just a cover and what's going on is the real reality. Uh, and, uh, and so, um, let's see, where was it going with this? The, XM and uh, Yeah, okay, so the, the, I guess I can give it a little bit. So there's this idea that XM is this thing that from ancient times is a exotic matter uh, has been like boiling up out of the earth at these various places and so all these shrines and stuff like that that are holy places well all of them are part of this XM network where these fountains of XM kind of you know come up and XM has effects on the mind does this sound familiar and connected to what we were talking about before um, and so the um, so the, the XM network, part of what you do in, in um, uh, Ingress is that there's these two factions. One's the resistance, and the other is the, uh, the enlightenment. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's this idea that there's kind of this force from outside that the enlightenment believes is entirely for, uh, for helping humanity reach like the next level of their evolution and then the resistance believes that this is some dangerous force manipulating mankind and uh, and and what the resistance does is they try to manipulate mankind in opposition to this other manipulation whereas the enlightenment is more about uh you know letting it happen and, and things like that so it's there are these two factions and you can see a wide variety of reasons why different people with different belief sets would organize themselves in the, into these two things and it actually, the funny thing is, I've got this post that I want to put on Reddit and, and, and stuff as part of, to tell this whole story of lore and things like that. 
that uh, that you can see that it's that it can be related to Gnosticism and uh, the ideas of the aeons and the archons in that myth. So uh, so there's this it's, it's, it's a neat storyline and um, uh, so so how does this you know uh, end up becoming kind of conspiracy theory? Well, you can see it as there really are when you go into and, and this will be in my, my post. I'll eventually get it up somewhere. But there, there really is these groups of people, like there's something called the Gateway Process. You can look that up in, in CIA's declassified documents where they're attempting to um, uh, access certain, um, uh, like, knowledge elsewhere. There's the remote viewing pro project you've probably heard about that that was also part of, a, of the government. And, you know, there was declassified remote viewing stuff and 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 they had like a, the gateway process is really in depth into like actual science about uh you know bowman pribram's model of holographic mind which is a which is a computational methodology it is it, it re, it's a real computational methodology uh and that is a theory for how brains really work and so there's all of these the, these aspects of uh of mind control that the various states have been uh, trying to use for many many years. I mean, uh, the CIA director in 1981 said that uh, our disinformation uh, program will be complete, or was it, or successful? Successful. Well, can, can, uh, we know that we have. We'll only know it's successful success. once uh, everything that the American public believes is false. Now, this is you can look this up. This actually happened, and it and uh, there's a reasonable. And there's a reasonable uh, explanation for why he would say such a thing, and that is specifically there is the idea that they are fighting against this evil force, the Russians, because that was you know you know that kind of that era still, uh, Cold War era, and the idea is that the Russians were constantly getting tons and tons of of uh, information, crucial information through local news sources. Local news sources were reporting uh, enough information about critically important subjects and topics of, uh, going on in everything from politics to science etc and so therefore that was a major leak and this was kind of the talk that the that you know there was the context around him saying this and so therefore the only reasonable way you can plug that leak is by making sure that you put out enough disinformation that everything that everybody believes is complete bullshit uh, and so therefore you've plugged your 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 the, the problem of keeping the enemy from knowing what's going on. You have to make sure the people don't know what's going on so that they can't leak it to them. So, uh, so there is a, there's a method to their madness. It's not all sinister. I mean, these people, they, they have good intentions. Uh, you know, the, the, the CIA director was not just some, you know, uh, mustache twiddling villain. He was, mm -hmm. he had a reason why he was protecting people by keeping them ignorant. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are, and, and there is this whole exploration of mind control. Now that goes all the way back to to Hitler, and and you know he was practicing hand motions, and you know, and, and there's all, there's very his various things were about mind control. There's there's always going to be a tremendous amount of interest in mind control within the government. Always, there's always going to be that. And so anytime that we are starting to develop these technologies uh, that deal with understanding the human brain better creating AI, all of these things then immediately have the potential to be abused for mind control. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize how close we are to understanding enough about the human mind to be able to manipulate it. 
Like for instance, at Carnegie Mellon, uh, I've been I've been reporting on this repeatedly. At Carnegie Mellon, they have, and now this is this is real. This is true. I'm not, you know, you can look this up yourself. But the uh, uh, they're able to by just using a little bit of calibration, you give them three words, uh, three nouns. Then you can think of any noun, and uh, across various subjects, anywhere from 80 to like 95 percent accuracy, they could read a noun that you thought of. So they basically, then this is using an fMRI. So the areas of the brain that you access upon thinking about that particular uh, noun could then be read as specific information in the brain. Now you can also, using certain types of waves, activate areas of the brain and mm -hmm. cause it to do it. So basically, if you know where the areas of the brain are, if you can read the, the specific nouns, then you can then make those nouns be activated through certain types of fairly non what's called non-invasive in other words projecting waves into the brain mm -hmm. uh, you can cause those things to occur and so there are there are now that's not mind control just being able to be, be, at most it would make you think of a particular subject but I'm only telling you about the older technology since then the revealed technology right well not just that the Carnegie Mellon has continued down that path oh. uh, further and now they can read entire sentences reading entire sentences is a whole additional layer mm -hmm. because it's not just a collection of words. It has its own uh, other information it's connected to via context. Right. Uh, and so there is meaning attached to it. More, so it's more than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. and you can't just randomly arrange a sentence and it still have meaning. And so, so now that they've been able to start reading uh, sentences, now you're talking about being able to, to basically broadcast you know, uh, more uh, more robust ideas into a person's mind, but it, it truthfully, the technology requires you that you'd have to basically put on a helmet or maybe Google Glass, whichever. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, that's that's the conspiracy theory part there is that that I was I was hoping to to uh, uh, put upon or not to uh, access. Yeah. What's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, uh, it is the idea that Google Glass matches in the ingress anime the mind control technology because these so basically uh, this whole the time when they said hulong goggles i'm like google glass the whole time really you were thinking google glass the, the whole time oh. and just now you said that they actually worked for stuff for google glass and right. i was like no it can't be because google are nice guys ingress wouldn't talk shit about google <laughs> so so the the thing is you would literally have to uh, it's not feasible to broadcast anything into a somebody's mind from a distance because of the various angles and the positioning and that's just not feasible you you would have to wear some sort of helmet etc to be able to have any kind of concepts broadcast directly into your mind as a you know as a brain interface but the funny thing is I'm, i that's why i'm calling on the idea of the google glass because it's actually uh the the one of the mo the areas of your brain that, that have to do with morality, specific morality, uh -huh. uh, moral choices, as well as social things, is called the right temporal parietal junction. And, and in that area, there are certain social interactions as well as morality uh, deciders that you can alter on a person. And, and they've already proven that you can alter this on, in people from the outside with just electromagnetism. Yep. Um, and uh, and that you and you wear a Google Glass on your right ear. So anyway, so that's the that's the fun, you know, delving into conspiracy theory silliness because the likelihood that this is, you know, that they were actually doing that, 
I think that's just you know I, I think that's nonsense personally but but it's still fun I mean you look, look at these connections these are cool uh, you know uh, these and I think that Niantic knows I think the people at Niantic know some of these things that I'm talking about I mean and that's the, why they're making without this giving funny away story. too much of the anime I mean the glyphs oh yeah the concepts oh, that they download oh, into the, your mind go, oh here's something I haven't even told you yet the Google Glass um, YouTube channel the symbol on it is a glyph. Oh my god. It's a fucking glyph. No. no, they're doing it on purpose. They're fucking doing it on purpose. Well, they're trolling Google. Yeah, no, they're trolling. No, Google Glass, uh, I mean, an uh, ingress, their connection, all of these things. Go to the Google Glass. Yeah, but uh, Google Glass is no longer, like, they're not no longer uh, connected. You see the A there? Yeah. Yeah, they uh, have that A, and it looks, it's a glyph from the Google fucking Glass Niantic. have nothing to do with each other. Oh no, they, they do. There well, was, they it just was, worked it was, together at one point. Right, it was meant to be a flagship product. Uh, so, but it isn't anymore. So, uh, I don't know what's going on with that because Ex Google Glass halted. They, exactly, they which is why Niantic is trolling Google. Yeah, well, they're using it as part of. Here's the thing: they're they're artfully weaving together reality and fiction, and it's speculation, uh, and to make it into this really. A fun background story for the game yeah. and they're doing a fantastic job at hinting at things that people can research and find out for themselves and so it's just like it's it's the depth uh, that you can go with this is uh, much greater than a lot of people recognize so oh so anyway so Niantic before this point they've been talking about like the the XM was you know discovered at CERN and it was the Niantic project and you know uh, that and and they had all of this um, Oh, what was that? What was that? Uh, that thing where people like filmed themselves and they were scared in the woods. And it was the first Which, version the, of the, it. The, the Blair Witch. Blair Witch Project. Okay, so they kind of did this this blogger, you know, talking about XM and vlogger, vlogger whatever, <laughs> vlogger talking about XM and having <laughs> these experiences. And the, when you try to, it's it's actually kind of hard to find all of the lore. Like you you, you find layers of now the lore that the around the ingress, um, and ingress YouTube yeah. page is, is up. Yeah, yeah. Good, oh no. And so, so, so it's so it's so much fun because it's got all these little pieces of reality that so many to, that in my opinion, so many are, kernels you could get a whole bucket of popcorn. Right. In my opinion, <laughs> it's a false pattern. You can put together this pattern as a conspiracy theory, but I, I, you know, I think it's just a fun little game. It's a, you know, there. The truth of the matter is, yeah, there are these these I don't explorations. Know, man. We don't know what DARPA's holding back <laughs> in, in interest of. I know, especially with my my knowledge level of how uh, how the brain works and how you can actually access certain things. It it, it looks a lot more plausible to me than it would to most people. But mm -hmm. but the, I still, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, I don't think that there's any yeah. reality. To it. <laughs> uh, but it's so much fun because of the fact that it can. It can be. It can look look so real. And that, and that's what I'm, that, that's what excites me about it. It's like it's like oh my god, what a great job that they've done. And maybe you know, uh, and and it's a, they've done such a good job that you have to be a researcher in things like mind control and neuroscience and and all of those sorts of things to even see how well they've done their job of creating this backstory. Mm -hmm. And they've just they purposefully left little hints. And little like like uh, the, like the vlogger videos and all these videos of like these scientific experiments that you can look on online for. That's all the part of this Niantic story. So anyway, so the whole I just love how well they've done this, and it, it, it's just I'm blown away that it's that it's such this you know like well done conspiracy theory picture that they've created that does resonate with the reality of the fact that there is 
mind control sorts of warfare that really do happen in reality. They really do, but it's just a, and so, I don't know, maybe it is kind of a little bit of a metaphor that there is, um, you know, there, there somewhat of a, you know, um, psychic battle, you know, which is just basically propaganda and things like that. Mm -hmm. Those things are real, you know, and so it's kind of a metaphor for that. So it looks, so it makes, basically they take that and make it too specific into, then that's what conspiracy theories are. Right. A lot of times is you're recognizing that They're there are things inflexible. going on. Right. And you're making it too specific. Right. And that specifically the game is this, and specifically there, there are these forces that specifically do. So the conspiracy theory is taking specifics and applying them to something that right. is that is real, and there is a real pattern of there are people trying to do things. How successful they are, not very. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a, there's not a lot of success to their to their mind control uh, techniques. There's a lot. There's a tremendous amount of failure to it. Mm -hmm. And like and like I, I brought up the fact that there that that the six G ter uh, terahertz uh, technology uh, could impact the brain. Well, it's only going to impact the brain. The, the level of difficulty in attempting to do anything mind control mm -hmm. is so, so beyond our, our, even our current highest level, best technology. Uh, you know, the, the best you can do, why even try to implant an idea in somebody's brain through a, them wearing Google Glass when you could just like, you know, have commercials just, on TV. I was about to say, just to right? say just, in a McDonald's You're doing the jiggle. same thing. You're doing yeah. the same thing, you know, basically. So you can't really, as it stands right now, even with the very best, most cutting edge technology, the most mind control you can do is equivalent to, you know, uh, influencing TV and movies and shit like that, which they already do. So it's like, you know, it's, it's not, the mind control technology is not any better than that. Right. Uh, uh, but, so, but it does make for a fun fucking story. And that's that's what I'm geeking out about is that is that the story itself is so much fun because it has this, you know, uh, that it plays upon people's darkest fears and, <laughs> you know, and uh, our fear of technology and uh, te technology advancement. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it has this creepy factor and they were going for that creepy factor and, the, uh, you know, and this fear of technology and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so I, I just, I appreciate a job well done. As the exotic matter, the XM, it was discovered at CERN. Yeah, oh, those, <laughs> those, those evil people at CERN with their science. <laughs> They're gonna destroy the world. <laughs> so, so to leave off with a little cherry on top, uh, let's uh, talk about Niantic because that's such an interesting name. And the other cute part about Ingress is uh, they're talking about the National Intelligence Association or something, NIA, uh, and they're calling themselves the, the Niantic company is putting themselves into Ingress as somebody who is holding back information and acting as a running interference and, and you know being a CIA type, NSA, CIA, NIA. Yeah, like no, it's great. Niantic, they are, and, and so so what's Niantic? Like, tell us about the, the story of the oh. name and the. Oh, you, know, you just like that story? Okay, yeah, so I love I, that story. Oh well, okay. So <laughs> I just I looked into because um, I I wanted to do a little more deep research because it's it's well it's fun it's both fun and it's related to real topics and so that you know why not and so I uh, go to find out what the, what Niantic meant what's the you know what's I wanted to find out uh, everything about it. <laughs> was there was there anything really actually sinister about Hanky's connection to the CIA? And my opinion is no, it's not actually sinister. Um, and it's the uh, and, and the and which so is I'm not opinions we usually hold about the CIA. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean the the connection. I mean his connection. I mean right, the right. CIA is always sinister. I mean any any war 
force, there's a sinister side to them. I mean, that's, right. that's basically the, the just that's reality. Every government agency that is about war uh, for any country is sinister in some way. So anyway, but the uh, but looking at his connection to it, I was like, okay, so what's this Niantic thing? And uh, so it turns out that what the Niantic is is a ship that uh, started. Uh, it got its namesake is a Native American people that basically got wiped out in the uh, you know along somewhere along the eastern seaboard. I forget. It's like Pennsylvania, maybe. Uh, yes, I don't Pennsylvania. Know. Uh, so so it's a group of Indians, is the, the the Niantic people, and uh, and so it was it was the ship was named after that. And it was the first ship to bring um, people who were part of who were uh, going to be offloaded for the gold rush. So the gold rush that happened in California actually yeah, started. Yeah, the, the family lived in Pennsylvania, and they, and they honored the natives by right. It's the Cleveland family who mm -hmm. owned the the, the Niantic, mm -hmm. and uh, and so they um, so they they were it was a whaling vessel at the time I mm -hmm. believe it was before it was actually yeah it was created for trade with the East, then ended up being a whaling vessel, and then during its last trip, it was, uh, it went through the uh, Panama, Canal? Panama Canal, from what I understand, and, or at least it was around Panama, uh, and because, uh, uh, was the, was the Panama Canal just widened during the, that era? I don't, I don't even know. That's a part of history I'm, I'm not very familiar with. Anyway, the, uh, so, so it was, because uh, how do you go by ship from the East Coast? Right, so was the Panama Canal the always there? Because I know we, we did all this work on it, so was it always just like a small yeah, right canal that's over there? Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it between, separates it's Mexico, the north, north yeah. and south Mexico. Well, not Mexico. It's north and south America. Yeah, no, yeah north and south America. Right. But I, I, I know Mexico's right there. I thought it bifurcated Mexico. I know too, we widened it out, but I just didn't, I, I did not know it actually existed before being, you know, created. Right. And, and it seems as though from this story that it was there beforehand, and it's just. Somehow or another, that's just a missing part of my history. Anyway, uh, so it was around Panama, picked a bunch of people up there. Like they had like three people in the captain's quarters that were passengers, just filled the ship up. And then when it got to port, the they everybody deserted so quickly that they couldn't even unload it fully. They never even were able to unload it fully because the the crew members deserted for the uh, the gold rush. And it was the first ship to bring people for the gold rush. And they ended up having to sell it, park it in dry dock, and it became the Niantic Hotel. Now, the Niantic Hotel is a is a centerpiece of San Francisco history, history because of the fact that it burned down multiple times and was rebuilt. They ended up finding like all these casks of wine still in the bottom of it nice. uh, after uh, rebuilding it. I think one of the the uh, they like maybe it was like the 1980s or something as recently is that they found yet another cask of of wine uh, down the in the depths. Of the uh, of the wreckage when they started like having to rebuild it yet again, and so the Niantic Hotel is this kind of a central point in the history of uh, San Francisco, and so it's a, and so it's just a neat little thing, and that's and, yeah, and that's like why it. the Niantic uh, ship is you know uh, when you look at the Niantic Corporation it has this ship as part of its logo and all that because mm -hmm. of this connection to the Niantic. I'm not sure why that you like that story I so much. I mean, I, I guess it's neat, neat little it's bit of history. So cool. And the fact that it's like an actual piece, it's like a hotel, it's a real thing that is currently in San Francisco that was a ship, is now a building, and before that it brought the gold rush, it's so cool. Yeah, it is neat. Uh, I enjoyed it too. Yeah, so I like, I don't know. I, I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> I mean, was, and there's a reason I went and looked it all up, so. Maybe it's because I was eating that super addictive fish when you were telling me about it. <laughs>
<laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So the so anyway, the point is that they ended up weaving a story, and I think it's it's Hanky's um, love of creating a story world because you see, like, like I said, he was one of the he was the pro- one of the progenitors of the whole MMO genre, and so I think that that yeah, his influence on making the uh, augmented reality. Is that that he was marrying? And I think that that very few people have been able to see what a masterpiece this that uh, this game was because the masterpiece is really in, in weaving uh, this story of uh, of what's going on in reality and and something digital, something artificial, and because that's what augmented show, reality is. I think the show to be. really helps. Yeah, the show really will help you if you watch the anime on Netflix. It's like it's, new. it's right up there. It's new, and so they're, they're putting it's it. In just called Ingress Netflix yeah. original. Yeah, exactly. It's very good. But it, but this weaving of, uh, it, of augmented reality—that's the whole meaning of augmented reality—and he's doing it on two layers. He's doing it on the on the you know uh, taking something fictional mm-hmm. and connecting it, augmenting and o- reality, and overlaying <laughs> it with real reality. And a lot of people just aren't aware of how. And I'm just I'm surprised how much he knows about and this all the characters and stuff. in Ingress operate on augmented reality too, because the world's not what it seems. Yep. So anyway, I've got a post that I've been trying to get on, put on um, Reddit or Signal Boost, and, and, uh, and I just haven't Call been able to action. I can't, I can't Reddit. Uh, apparently, I can't. I, 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 even asked a question. It's like, okay, so I've contacted the moderators and you know done my due diligence of trying to figure out how to make this work, and nobody's gotten back to me. And like one post actually went through where I was, where I just asked, is there, are there any hidden rules on this, uh, you know, un- unwritten rules on this uh, place? And they're like. No, uh, in it, and then and then I posted another. It was just like, okay, so what are my next steps to post in this, uh, you know, um, in this group? That didn't get through. That also was deleted automatically. So it's like, holy shit! How do I just post this lore thing in here? That thing I think people will like. I right. just want to post this damn lore. no, no, no dice so far. So, <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm still going that, but. You know, hopefully I'll be able to add to the story because I've got all this this cool information about uh, mind control tech and, and physics and shit like that that I've woven together to add to the the the, the, the whole ingress lore that should add a, a dimension to it that uh, that continues to connect all of these subjects and maybe make people more aware of how well ingress is a um, is kind of a metaphor and that it's a and it's a neat story. Um, but uh, you know that, that that's um, uh, that's just a, a a project that I would like to I'd like to launch if they'd let me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that would be cool uh, if we could one day <laughs> maybe post it on Reddit. Yes, if I could ever actually just just be allowed to post. That's that's all. I just want to post. Can I do that? Apparently not. I don't understand <laughs> why. I don't know. Yeah, I'm how the Reddit, yeah, what? So. You, are you so? Are you you can't post anything unless you got enough credit, and if you, and you can't karma. get credit unless you post, and is that with the karma, or whatever? Can't get karma unless you post, and you can't post unless you have karma. Okay, cool. So this is basically unusable. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> you I can never start. That's what it seems like so far. So we're we're a bit frustrated with Reddit, but welcome any and all help we can have with that. Yes. <laughs> so we just want to post this damn thing. <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's part cool. of the reason why I never used Reddit before. Every time I, I, I go to Reddit, I, I get turned off by this. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so I can't do anything here. And and people are generally like, uh, one of my, my experiences with Reddit has always been like Shitty super, people. super hyper rude or just totally high school. Yeah. They're like, they're like, they say some one line. Everything's about trying to get the cool, 
the coon is one liner, man. Yeah, you know that, that has no meaning or value or anything, but it does get a giggle at somebody else's expense. It's like Jesus, can we get out of high school? I mean, so we make it know. to you know, we make it past that just just a hair, just a little. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't know, but I think those that's any. any online community you're going to have a lot of those people and they, they end up being the mo vocal minority and right. aren't necessarily representative and so it's like can I meet some of the people who are the cool people that run it? I mean I'd like to meet them mm -hmm. I keep running into the trolls right. <laughs> instantly they're there they're waiting they're ready with their with their uh, you know their quick little quips uh, to try to get a laugh at somebody's expense for every person who wants to, to start to be in that community they're, they're, they're just the that sad and insecure <laughs> yes pretty that breaks my heart man but they're probably a vocal minority if i were to guess that's usually your 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 worst first impression that you get of any group is usually the bite the minority the vocal minority. the vocal minority that every group wishes would not consider themselves part Represent of them. <laughs> yeah. please stop presenting us presenting us representing us <laughs> please <laughs> so true that's actually really true if i think about it no any group <laughs> Any group that the groups that I belong to, I'm like, oh, I wish. Any, any group that, and all the groups that you might dislike, typically they have a vocal minority that the larger like group is Big going, Red. is going, please stop, please shut up, oh my god, you're not, you're not a representative of our group. Yeah, which, but then of course that's where we get into no true Scotsman fallacy, where you know, <laughs> no true Scotsman, yes. because some groups really do all believe in evil yeah. shit, but not yeah, all. Thing is, it's never all. There's always exceptions. Yeah, I, I'd like to believe the best of people first and give them lots of chances to, to be wrong, <laughs> to disabuse me of that notion. Indeed, that's how we roll. Um, Alrighty, so I believe uh, we will be. I'll be taking us out of here. See if we can get a little music going to uh, play us out, and uh, let's see, or not, <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, maybe we should do a little, like, look through and see if there's any questions from uh, chat. I've been paying attention. Oh, you've been paying attention? Yeah. Great. All right, yeah, somebody handle trying to get mine. okay, that's cool. Alrighty, once again, this broadcast has been brought to you by patrons and listeners such as yourself. Check out patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. And Thanks for all of so you much to our patrons. <laughs> loyal patrons, we'll see you in just a minute. <laughs>
but I would assume that means that they can hear what we're saying. Huh. Oh, I'm an idiot. Huh.